Hello and welcome to episode four of the Blockade Runner. This is a super exciting time because we're just a few days after our first viewings of The Force Awakens. So we're here tonight to talk all about our initial impressions. Um, and there's been so much to talk about and discuss. The last 48 hours have been super fun. Um, so we're excited to record some of those conversations and and uh, deliver this episode. This is John speaking, and with me tonight is Dan. Hello. And Kevin. Kevin's on Twitter, so say hi, Kevin. Hi. <laughs> and uh, Ryan. Hi. You, you may not recognize me because of my red arm. <laughs> uh, how'd you get that red arm? Uh, it'll be explained in a Marvel one shot that has been delayed. <laughs> All right, good deal. Um, so yeah, like I said, you know it's initial impressions tonight, and uh, we've all seen the movie at least once. And um, I don't know, we're just gonna kind of be off the cuff and discuss our impressions as they come. Uh, I feel like, and uh, Ryan, this is something you said earlier, but I feel like we're going to be discussing this movie for years to come, obviously, and there'll be a lot more discussion after tonight, too, but uh, we're just really excited to get those initial thoughts out. I thought maybe we could start out by discussing what our impressions were um, as we watched the movie and immediately afterwards, because I know mine are different now. Um, I was uh, very excited afterwards. I mean, the first time... We've had so much lead up to it, and everything was so emotional. You know, teared up quite a few times. So, Adam, when I got out, knowing how we all proclaimed every one of the prequels to be the best movie that had ever come out, I kind of was trying to temper my my excitement. But you know, as I keep going over it in my head at the time, there there really wasn't any glaring issues. I mean, there's a couple of things that you know maybe were a stretch, and we can get we'll sure we'll get into some of that as we go along here, but. You know, I was I was pretty excited and just cautiously optimistic, but yeah, I was very overwhelmed as soon as the the credits started rolling. I I found it very hard to even talk, and uh, it's it's very cliche to say I was speechless, but I, I I just didn't know what to say or how to say what it was that I was thinking, what it was that I was feeling, and I remember just looking around at you guys and at uh, the people around me and just in disbelief at uh what we had just seen and what what we went through it was completely overwhelming yeah i feel like as i watched the movie for the first time um i mean i was so nervous going into it and i was really confident it was gonna be good but i was just so nervous because it's like this is a this is an experience i've been building up in my head for years and it's something that like if somehow it, it weren't good um, it would be kind of crushing for me. Um, and so I was, I was just nervous going into it. And then as I was watching, I feel like the first viewing, I, I loved it and I enjoyed it. Um, but I feel a little bit now in retrospect, like I couldn't quite watch it like a movie because I was just like in my own head too much, sort of not even analyzing, but just kind of like, uh, okay, yes, I think I'm okay with this. Uh, yeah, that line was good um a little cheesy but i'm all right with it you know like kind of assessing everything as i go saying like you're not disappointed right like i i don't know it wasn't the best way to watch a movie because I, I was building everything up and 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 trying to i don't think analyze is the right word because it wasn't about depth it was just like sort of assess it as i go um and then in the it didn't even it wasn't even necessarily that i had to watch it again before 
my point of view was more clear, but I had to have time to process it. And then, um, you know, I think as many people probably did after they watched the movie, we went, we, we went out and discussed it for hours afterward. And, um, that discussion really kind of helped solidify how I felt. So, um, but the, the process of watching it and you know, the, the, the first few minutes afterwards were, were strange. They were wonderful. I really enjoyed it, but it was kind of a weird feeling to be honest. I I know exactly what you mean because the entire time I was watching it that first, well, I've only seen it once. I'm the one person here who has only seen it one time, but I was thinking about how I was feeling the entire time. This is something we've been waiting for for three years since Disney bought Star Wars and said they were going to make episode seven. So I was constantly thinking, okay, how am I feeling? What, what, what is this? What is this like? And the reaction was something that I was anticipating for so long that, you know, not just the movie that was being watched, but the experience that I was having was constantly under the microscope, under the microscope in my mind. And, uh, yeah, it's strange. I'm looking forward to seeing it again so I can, you know, sort of get over that. Yeah, I I totally know that feeling. Like, obviously, I came into it with the same um, baggage, I guess, as I think we all sort of did. Um, you know, being huge fans, having huge expectations and all that. And, I mean, I remember being, like, the, the opening crawl came up and I was like, you know, just dwelling on every single word and um i was just super on edge through like the opening scene and i think what what kind of put me at ease was um the first exchange between kylo ren and poe dameron and when which kind of set the tone for like the humor in the movie um with uh you know with poe's line about like okay am i gonna talk first are you gonna talk first and i (laughs) i feel like the whole crowd kind of just like exhaled at that point and like (laughs) kind of laughed and that's when i sort of like eased up and like leaned back in my seat and just had fun with it from there Um, and really kind of like i just felt it like with the crowd it really broke the ice, and like you said, everybody just kind of exhaled here, like, okay, I can I can settle into this now. Yeah, I think that's really well put, and that makes perfect sense to me. And knowing how well this film is put together, you know, after having seen it, um, I, I bet that was very much intentional, you know? So, um, yeah, that part was great. I Actually, I you know, I don't necessarily want to talk about the movie sequen- sequentially, but I have to say, too... That opening crawl was incredible. I got so pumped. Um, I was so excited from that opening crawl. I feel like that's by far my favorite, my favorite of all seven movies. Um, the opening crawl, and it was just like wasted no time. And it was it was all about. Um, I mean, it, it covered a lot of ground in terms of plot and things like that. But I feel like it was also really designed to be like, this is a movie that's going to be exciting. And um, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna get into these these things and you know it's been 30 years what's going on with luke and leia we're gonna address it in the crawl right away and it just made me super excited it seemed very trim it seemed you know there was no fat in in that at all just only the basic things that we needed to know that were all sort of exciting and intriguing yeah yeah and light on unnecessarily kind of overwrought details and and uh flowery language like it was very direct and straightforward i think too which i don't mind that stuff in some of the other crawls and it's not like it's ever 
you know, pretentious or anything, but, uh, but yeah, that directness that you're talking about, Kevin, I think is really was part of what was exciting about it. It had a lot of energy, which they don't always have. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the familiar too. It yeah, wasn't that... like you were reading about like the trade federation and Naboo and all these things you had never even heard of before. And you're yeah. like, I don't even, what am I even like thinking about right now? <laughs> like it was all this stuff that you knew. Yeah. And it wasn't about Ray or Finn, right? It was about Luke and Leia and, and the resistance in the first order. And it was, you know, immediately familiar. Yeah. 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 Um, well, why don't we talk about, uh, you know, the, the kind of primary players, uh, to start out here before we get into some of the more, I don't know, specific details and things like that. Um, why don't we talk about Ray? I mean, Ray is the protagonist of the movie. Ray is definitely the hero character. Um, I think we all knew it going in, but she's the Luke. And, uh, I'll tell you what, the, the reactions that I've gotten from, from people and the discussions I've had you know about the movie in general are overwhelmingly positive and uh if that's true for the movie as a whole it's absolutely true for daisy ridley and for ray who i think is uh an incredible new character yeah absolutely like um i i feel like poe and finn bring like so much energy and just like positivity and excitement to the movie but Ray for me like brings the emotion just like really raw emotion and you can like read it in her face constantly and it gives me um you know like one what resonates the most with me with the prequels is episode three and I love that movie because there's so much just raw emotion and you can read it in people's faces so much whether it be Obi-Wan or Padme or Yoda um, and I feel like Ray brings that into this setting and it's just it's incredible like constant chills from her performance yeah I was reading an interview um I think in L magazine that my wife gets and it was about her and JJ talking about, you know, why he cast her. And that was exactly what he pointed out um, was her, her facial emotion and her ability to just nail it from one emotion to the next right away. And you just have that feeling in your gut when you see it, that, you know, it that's it. That's real. And that was one of the big things that played into him actually casting her. Well, because we're as as viewers, we're responsible for you know, or they're responsible for letting us learn about her. I mean, we don't know anything about her at the beginning of this movie, and watching her, you know, go through this adventure, which is something she isn't really. I wouldn't say she's reluctant or necessarily adverse to doing it. She's just kind of like going through it and 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 learning things about the Force and. All of that was really exciting because I, I felt like you could connect with her and that there was all this mystery, not just at the beginning of the movie, but all the way through as to how she was feeling and what, what she was doing. And even with the Force stuff, I mean, I I still want to watch it again just to see how that all progresses. And I felt like we were seeing her learn the Force in a much different way than anybody else ever in the trilogy. Yeah, that's one of the things that's exciting about her too is you know, you say we see her learn the force in a different way. It's absolutely true. 
Um, but, you know, I've started to think about like, well, just how powerful in the force is she? Because the film seems to present her definitely as more powerful in the force than Kylo Ren. Um, and that could be for a number of reasons. But, you know, like, I mean, obviously he's trained and he has more control of the force and he uh, he's a more powerful character, I guess you'd say at that moment to a certain degree. But I mean, she she is like pulling things off with no training just on instinct alone. And it makes me wonder, I mean, how much of a, it reminds me of Anakin, you know, honestly, it reminds me of Anakin and, uh, and, and same goes for Luke. I mean, if you get the feeling that Luke is not, you know, any, just any, you know, force sensitive or, or Jedi type character that he's a really special one. And that's, I mean, you definitely get that, that feeling from Ray too. You know, the fact that she teaches herself how to do a Jedi mind trick in that moment, um, it's 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 incredible and it makes you just wonder like how powerful is this person well i have to i have to credit my my friend jake for this observation but it almost seems like at the beginning of the movie our our concept of kylo ren and and his relationship with the force uh, compared to rays they go in opposite directions kylo starts off like unstoppable and kind of it kind of like goes downhill from there and he loses we see that he's unstable mentally and emotionally we see that He's maybe not as powerful as we thought, and with Ray, it's the exact opposite. They, they go the exact opposite direction, and and at the end, and how interesting and unique is that? I feel like that's something I've never seen in a movie, in general. I mean, not just a Star Wars movie, but we have the villain who sort of gets weaker in our eyes as mm-hmm. we go through the movie. Yeah, that's and interesting. I, I heard someone. Uh, I wish I could give credit to whoever this person is because it's not my idea. I I read it somewhere. Or maybe it was one of you guys. I don't know. But uh, someone mentioned that Kylo Ren sort of goes on a hero's journey in reverse in this movie because instead of being pulled to his power and pulled into the light side of the force, in some ways he's like losing touch and uh, and being drawn uh, out of darkness at some points into light. And, you know, his, his whole journey is like kind of, I don't know if reversed is the right word, but it's, uh, it's definitely, it's a similar kind of thing to what the hero does, but uh, in a completely different kind of way. Yeah, and, well, that was me, because I wrote it in the show notes. Um, oh, wow. Okay. But, uh... <laughs> so you, you can, can we give him you credit? Can, you can give me credit right now. Um, no. and uh, yeah. W- what I kind of meant by that was, um, you know, he instead of, you know, Anakin Skywalker is, like, his story is about getting like in the original trilogy is about getting out the dark side and kylo ren's story here is getting out the light and i mean we'll talk about that more in kind of the like probably most pivotal pivotal scene in the film but um i was looking in um i picked up the star wars uh force awakens visual dictionary and there's a line in there that um, says that Kylo Ren thought of, um, you know, Vader's redemption as his weakness. Hmm. Interesting. See, th- oh, that's really interesting because... What do you think, Kevin? That's interesting because I was under the impression we were going to find out more about about his feelings about Vader. And we were going to find out that he had some sort of misunderstanding or lack of knowledge about vader's end like right. he'd been fed some sort of misinformation about about how vader died and about how the emperor died that's what i've always assumed from that line it's like i'll finish what you started 
And I, I've, you know, been kind of arrogantly laughing at Kylo Ren when he says that. I'm like, D- you don't even know who he is. Exactly. You're worshiping this guy. You don't even know what his mission. I mean, you know what his sort of mission is, but I guess, but uh, you, you don't know what he meant to do in the long run. And then when I started watching the movie and you can see, and I guess we're going all over the place here, but you can see how Snoke is sort of manipulating him or it feels like he's manipulating him. And I started thinking like, well, Snoke is Snoke lied to this guy about who Darth Vader is and is probably, you know, hiding the truth from him. But maybe that's not the case. Actually, you know, and the more you think about it, it's probably not because Kylo Ren obviously spent some time with Luke Skywalker. Uh, we find out from from seeing this movie. So um, he would have probably heard Luke's side of the story as well. So here's the line from the visual dictionary. It says, Kylo Ren aspires to build immunity to the light side, to succeed where Darth Vader and his sentimentality once failed. Hmm. Very interesting. Yeah, that line that that line from the movie then could be can I mean it could definitely it's still a little ambiguous what exactly he means by that. Does it mean I will finish what you started in being truly evil and uh, I'll finish what you started by like completing my arc as a as an evil you know dark side user rather than sort of leaving it half finished? Does or by, it or by defeating all the Jedi? Right. Um, oh yeah. It, and something else, I mean, we're already like on the Kylo Ren train right now. Um, so another thought I thought was super interesting was um, our friend uh, Mark from the Portable Power uh, video game podcast. He wrote on Twitter um, about Kylo Ren, like how just how much he legitimately hated him. And he wrote... I don't care about redemption. It's already too late. Now, and those... what do you guys think of that? Like, it, do you think we'll see Kylo go through like a Vader-esque arc where he's kind of redeemed at the end? Or like, is it just like, nope, you're, you're done? <laughs> it's really hard to say at this point. I mean, the, I, I'm sure there's a good way to do that story either way. And <laughs> I know, I'm, I'm sure they've decided but <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I mean, what we, it's a fun thing to, de- to debate, but that's, that's up to them. They're writing the story. Right. I mean, I could see it taking almost a, an opposite sort of arc where maybe Leia redeems her son, whereas Luke did it to his father at the end of the original trilogy. Or, mm. you know, I, he he's obviously very conflicted. So I, th- I think a lot of times when he's saying this stuff, he and he's, you know, verbalizing it in the movie, he's almost convi- trying to convince himself. He re- he really wants that light out of him. He you know, and he says as much in that pivotal scene. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. I I have to say though, when I was watching the film, I was in total agreement with Mark the first time. I mean, when he did the thing that he did, which I don't know why we're dancing around it because <laughs> this um, is a spoiler podcast, right? Yeah, which oh, by the way, I probably should have mentioned early on, but uh, it's hard to say nonetheless. It's it's still hard for me to say the words. Yeah, but uh, when you know when he completed that uh, that murderous act on the bridge in Starkiller Base, um, I was like, D- nope, I want you gone. I want you dead. And I find him to be a really compelling and interesting character. And now. With some time to cool down, I'm I'm glad that he's going to be around for more of these films because I think he's he's unquestionably a really compelling villain. But at the time, I was like, 
you know, I don't care how much conflict there is in you. I don't, you need to go down, you know? And I, I was rooting for Ray to raise that lightsaber up and end him at the end of the movie. Um, and now I feel like that would absolutely have been the wrong thing for, you know, the wrong way for this movie to conclude. But that's what I wanted just because, you know, it's not the Jedi way, but I wanted some vengeance right there for what he had done. I, I had somebody mention that they were really glad that Kylo didn't die uh, like like they did with Darth Maul and they were sort of comparing Darth Maul and, and Kylo and I was thinking about that comparison and it's those that's so far removed from Kylo Ren because I mean Kylo Ren is is an essential character in this trilogy this is not going to be just a, a standard villain this is somebody who's very important to the story and to the emotions and the internal conflicts that are going on with all the characters and not just the external conflicts this is not just a a really tough dude who's really good with a lightsaber this is this is somebody that has a close connection to our protagonists right you know when we started out talking about ray um and then we jumped to kylo ren but i feel like it's kind of hard to discuss you know i the, the discussion of these two characters i think needs to be linked and uh I think that the arc of these two characters going forward is going to be in some ways linked as well. Um, and uh, who knows how many different links there are between these characters. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I feel like, you know, they're, they're, um, they're absolutely going to be important. I mean, obviously Ray, but, but Kylo Ren as well. Um, super important for the rest of the trilogy. Um, you know, as you said, Kevin. Uh, we'll probably talk more about Ray and Kylo Ren in a little bit too, I'm sure. Um, but uh, Poe Dameron, uh, not a huge character, um, but uh, one that I found really endearing, um, one that I liked a lot, and I was happy to see, uh, you know, in the film as much as he was, because there was some, there was some talk that uh, maybe he was barely in the in the film, even though he was kind of presented as, you know, one of the three main heroes of the movie. Uh, so I was really glad that he was he was there so much. Um, but uh, but obviously too Finn, right? Um, Finn I love um what are you guys' thoughts on him well that was totally a marketing fake out with with Finn the lightsaber and uh I I feel like they wanted us to think that Finn was the Jedi or at least wonder if that was the case with with the lightsaber and uh yeah but I don't know don't you think now that he's now he's got a taste of swinging that lightsaber around I mean like you think he's gonna go back to just uh no, nah, never mind. I'm I'm just a dude with a blaster. I don't know. I think he's gonna want to go down that path as well. And he seemed reasonably competent with it too. You know. Well, he didn't get he'd... killed by Kylo Ren, at least. Right. right. He, he didn't yeah. do anything spectacular. But it's not like I don't know. I kind of always had the impression before that like non Jedi's using lightsabers was not really that much of a thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. We never. And, you never uh, really saw anybody except Han Solo use. You know, turn one on before. Yeah, exactly. Like Lindsay and my wife and I were having this conversation. She's like, "Is that's that's weird that he was able to use the lightsaber?" And and I was like, "Yeah." And then I was like, "Oh wait, no, the Han with the the Tauntaun, right? Um, exactly on, on Hoth." So it, I mean, there is precedence for yeah, it. But. That was a little bit. Uh, I don't know. I I think that was a little easier for Han than. <laughs> fending off Kylo Ren was for Boyega. Yeah, but that sure. whole that whole lightsaber thing stems from some EU source. I mean, I remember reading about that uh, either in a novel or in some kind of, you know, dictionary or source book or something. Um, but it was never, I don't think it was ever from, you know, uh, 
any kind of source that's now considered part of the new canon. I think that was something that was developed outside of the films and probably outside of George too. Uh, I mean, especially considering Han turns one on, you know, but, uh, but I don't know. I mean, it, it'll be really interesting to see uh, what direction Finn goes in. Um, I mean, we don't see really any indication that he does have access to the force in any way. So, um, and I think it does, you know, if you want to kind of look at it from the other side of like, well, Finn's not going to be a Jedi and not going to be trained in that way. I, you know, I think it does make sense that he can hold his own with that lightsaber to a certain extent, just because, like he's been, you know, he says it in the trailer and in the film, like I've been trained to do one thing, right? And that's fight battle to be a soldier. And um, he's not that great with that lightsaber, but I mean, obviously he's not going to be, he has some, he has some, some experience with like hand-to-hand combat and using, uh, using similar weapons. So. Well, and I, when I think of, of Finn and his character and his place in the movie, I think of that scene where he's first coming in the village and he sees those guys trying to steal BB-8 from Ray, and I almost feel like at that at that point we're seeing things through his perspective. And when we see Ray sort of getting mugged and them trying to steal BB-8, we feel, oh my gosh, we gotta we gotta go save her. And and then Finn, it feels obvious obviously the same way. So we're connected with Finn in that way. And then uh, you know clearly she starts starts kicking ass and she saves herself. Yeah, and she saves herself and. Uh, that's the moment I think where Finn was defined for us, and and I really really like that. I think that makes Finn's character different and more interesting than than I expected, and I expected him to be great, but but uh, he's not. He, I don't think he's going to be a Jedi. I don't think he's going to be the most the most talented you know fighter or warrior. He's 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 going to have a soul and a place in the story. But I don't think it's going to be based on his ability to, to fight or to, you know, any any sort of combat. Not that not that he won't. But well, yeah. yeah. Well, it's a tough call too because like when we ended the film, he was essentially in a coma. So when he comes out of that, like, um, I mean, who knows if he'll, like, even remember ray or remember all that stuff that's happened or if it if his brain will just switch back to like his like uh first order programming well i was like somebody bring this guy back to tank you know like why is he just on that bed he should be <laughs> floating around in a in some blue water right now but uh i i you know i don't know i think i think maybe that's as much about telling us as an audience at the end of this movie that hey uh, these two characters, their paths are going to go in different directions for a time, right? Ray goes, you know, to find Luke and ostensibly to begin her training as a Jedi. And Finn is going to be somewhere else doing something, something else. Um, that's kind of my takeaway from it. I think they, they, they definitely um, put some effort into assuring us that he's alive. And I mean, I know he's unconscious and he's, he's injured and everything, but you know, they they there were I don't think that they were wanting to to paint you know any ambiguity about whether or not he's going to survive. So I mean certainly what what you bring up Ryan I mean he sure he could he could be a different person and and that would be interesting. But but uh, I don't know for me in that moment it's 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 to tell me that that Finn and Ray are going in a different direction and and I think that's why Ray has the line where she says you know I believe I will see you again. But she doesn't say that because she's going on a two day trip to to spend time with Luke and then, you know, bring him back to the party. I mean, she says that because 
she's going on a journey and he's not going on that journey with her. And I think that they eventually will come back together, but for a while their stories are going to be separate. And I think she says that because she cares about him and doesn't in many ways doesn't want to leave him. And I think she probably realizes that he cares about her, you know, based on some other things that happen in that movie. And I really love how they played that out. Like I get, I get, I get the feeling that Finn has a lot of feelings for Ray, romantic feelings, probably. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they go a whole movie only hinting at that is very Star Wars to me, and is something that so many writers would not even be able to do or be brave enough to do. I think he's going to end up somewhere with a resistance. I mean, he, it's pretty obvious he's got a got a bond with Poe, and you know, they get along pretty well. He's going to be there with them when he wakes up. I, I I just think he kind of falls into the resistance and starts. I mean, it's similar to what he's been used to anyway. So it you know, it's not going to be some big step out of character for him. Right, and you know, I I think one of the reasons I love that character so much is because to me. He's a character where, as an audience member, I know how good he is, you know, uh, in his heart. And, and as a person, I think it's clear that this is a really good guy. I mean, you're introduced to him not being able to do something evil, um, even though it's very dangerous for him. And he takes risks uh, to, 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 you know, help free Poe and to help free himself from the First Order. But then... He is, you know, he he's basically starts thinking about surviving, and he doesn't he doesn't think about being selfless. Um, but it doesn't take very much to get him to act selflessly, you know, um, because I think that that's who, that's who he is. He doesn't know it as a character, but I think you know, for me as an audience member, it was pretty clear. Um, and so I I feel like maybe that's where the story is going to go as well. It's like him, you know, more and more realizing the selflessness within him, um, and and you know, this is a guy who's been trained his whole life to be part of the evil first order. And even though he broke out of that, and even though he spent what a few days or a few weeks or however much time it is, um, on the other side, you know, the vast majority of his life has been in service of the first order. And so I'd imagine that there are some psychological issues surrounding that with, uh, you know, um, I don't know if self-esteem is the right word or, uh, guilt or, you know, those kinds of things that he'll have to overcome. But, um, for me, he's written as somebody who is essentially, um, good, kind, selfless, um, brave, heroic, but I don't know if he would describe himself that way. And I think that's compelling and interesting and, and endearing ultimately. Don't they, am I remembering it wrong? Did they say in the movie that that was his first mission? That w- He says it. Yeah. So, so he failed, he failed to do that. I mean, that, that's a big statement that, he was trained and trained and trained and trained, but when it came to action, he was completely unable to do it. It wasn't yeah. like he was part of it for a long time and then decided I can't do this anymore. It was, okay, it's go time. I have to do something and I'm not going to do it. That's a, that's a huge statement that he never did anything. He was only trained before, you know? Yeah. yeah. Because like, and this some of this is like kind of spilling into like the books and stuff like again i spent like eight hours reading uh force awakens books today so i have all this like knowledge um but in uh i think it was in before the awakening kind of that uh young adult novel about poe ray and finn before 
um, before the events of the film. Um, it's like all he's doing is like going through these simulations because that's how they, um, that's how the First Order trains their stormtroopers. Um, so like, it seems like they like pluck these kids from their families at like a super young age and then he's been like working for the first order as they're like building up their secret army and training these guys and girls um for i think 23 years because i think he's uh 23 years old in the in the film so um, when he but mentioned it's, it's all simulations and then that was his first actual mission and he when he mentioned getting taken away from his family it really kind of reminded me of how the jedi you know got their rec- recruits so to speak they always would go find these kids when they were very young and take them and i wonder if if snoke or you know whoever started the first order so to speak kind of took a page from that and that's how they started doing these stormtroopers because in the original trilogy uh, we never really hear how the stormtroopers come to be about and i don't think we've really heard that in we know that they're kind of recruited in rebels they they talk about that a little bit and Mm -hmm. they must be using younger kids as well because we see as we're going through the training with those other children and right yeah i think one of the one of the it was the visual dictionary ryan or um one of those sources indicated that the the whole you know, kind of bringing kids in from, you know, essentially birth and training them is a first order thing, right? Not something mm-hmm. that the empire did before. So that's kind of uh, a kind of way, a clever way to explain the sort of um, ineptness of the stormtroopers in the original trilogy versus what I think are some more imposing stormtroopers in this movie, uh, because they're they're trained in a way that uh, doesn't allow for. Um, weakness in the same way as just kind of bringing in somebody at 18 or 19 or 20 years old and trying to turn them into a warrior at that point they're they're bred to do this yeah and what's also interesting about that is i it kind of has some parallels to like the clone army in um you know episode two because obviously if they started bringing these kids in um, like 20 years ago, like there's always been this plan for like, you know, this um, empire-like organization to like rise and control the galaxy. But it's kind of like the, um, you know, Palpatine's plan in um, episode two, where he's like, or Sifo-Dyas or whatever, like, starting the clone army, like, ten years prior to the Jedi actually finding out about it. I guess you could see that making sense, too, because, you know, so in Return of the Jedi, the Empire falls, and whatever the remnants are, they're probably like, well, we can't exactly force people to, you know, like, draft people into being a stormtrooper anymore. we got to come up with some other kind of strategy. I don't know, I'm just spitballing here, but, Mm -hmm. you know... Maybe that maybe that's where that whole thing comes from. It's a it's a way that they can get away with getting people to uh, to become stormtroopers and you know increase their numbers. It's funny though. I think even even after seeing this film, I think there's still a lot of people who are convinced 
all stormtroopers are clones because of that original clone army. I've I've heard people say that a few times in casual conversations and stuff like that. And it's like, I mean, you know, one of the principal characters in this movie, it's all about his individuality and insistence on breaking away from, you know, uniformity of, uh, of life as a soldier in the first order. Um, He's a clone gone wrong. Yeah. I don't think he is. (laughs) Yeah. It's kind of hard to talk about Finn too, without talking about the, the type of humor that he brings to the movie. Yeah, and I, I think we should take a step back and talk about the tone and kind of the the pacing and the overall vibe of the movie, uh, too, because we just jumped into sort of dissecting the characters, but uh, we didn't really talk about the movie as a whole and, and the way it's put together and the way it feels. Um, so, and that's, yeah, Finn is a very funny character, Poe's a very funny character, and the movie is a lot of fun, right? I mean, that was... I think we, we expected that going in, but that was definitely... Um, one of the, the, the initial takeaways and one of the most exciting things about the movie is, you know, it felt like fun from the, from, 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 from the first, you know, moments and it it stayed, you know, pretty, pretty energetic and fun throughout. Faster, more intense. Yep. (laughs) It had that feel. And I remember one time I was, I was watching a new hope in my parents' living room when I was about 14 or 15. And I'm the only person in my family that cares about Star Wars at all and my dad walked in the room and he my dad doesn't even like movies much less star wars i think he maybe sees one movie a year and probably couldn't even tell you what it is and he walked in the room during that scene where they're breaking leia out of the the cell and when han is talking to the talking to the uh talking to the guy through the intercom or whatever and he says you know uh we're all we're all fine here uh how are you and my dad was just cracking up he wouldn't (laughs) stop laughing and that scene I've always thought of as the most funny scene in Star Wars, and mm-hmm. this had that feel almost the entire way through. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And and almost all the characters were funny. And there, I actually every you know almost every character is funny, even down to Kylo Ren. You know, there was I don't remember any situational humor surrounding Darth Vader really in the films, unless you want to say like you know. Um, you know, choking out an imperial officer every two minutes is, is situational humor. But other than that, you know, there wasn't any, there wasn't anything. But they even found ways to make Kylo Ren, you know, humorous. Not not necessarily the as a situation, character. not him. Yeah, right. But, but in a way that you know didn't happen in yeah in, uh, in the original films. Yeah, I I love when he's just like slashing up the place and those oh, two yeah. stormtroopers like <laughs> just turn just around. <laughs> Well, the one before too. He's he, you know, tears the whole thing up, and then he turns around to the guy. Anything else? You know, just kind of. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> but that 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 scene is great too because, um, you know, it's scary because you expect him to murder that guy, and then he doesn't, and then some tension is relieved, even though it's it would be really scary to be in there and watch him destroy a whole electronic console with his lightsaber, and then he turns around to the guy, and you, 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 some of that tension is relieved. And then he's like, anything else? And then the guy starts to speak, and then it's really scary again because he pulls him. Doesn't he? He pulls him to him, like yeah, because he says the girl. He says the girl, and he force pulls him. What girl? You know. And you mentioned that guy. I'm listening to the audiobook right now, and I just got past that part. And they're you know doing the inner dialogue for that uh, that soldier, and he closes his eyes, and he hears the lightsaber come up. And then he realizes like he's still alive and he's trying to decide, do I even open my eyes to see what's going to happen here? You know, it's kind of. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and that scene, that is almost that, or that definitely is scarier 
than if Kylo would have just killed that guy. I feel mm-hmm. like we've seen that before, but mm-hmm. what happened there, we've never seen. This is a villain like we've never seen before. And the situations that they're, the, the types of conflict and tension that they're building into these scenes are all new. And props to them for coming up with all these new ways to tell a, a very familiar story. Ray is also very funny, and I love that as well because she has some she makes some comments that are that are humorous but it's it's a lighter touch with her in terms of the humor um she's very naturally funny and it's the way she plays off the other characters i love the way she plays off of finn's i don't want to say incompetence because i think finn is great but there's there's certain scenes and moments where he does he can't seem to quite do what he needs to do and and uh and and ray kind of mocks him Or, or the way he tries to sort of like help her in the first part of the film when he's the one who needs help. Um, She's like, I'm okay. (laughs) Right, 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 right. And I love the moment when uh, he's trying to explain to her how that thing was wrapped around him. Was it a Rathar or something like that is wrapped around him? And she, you know, she's the one who saved him by closing the door and he's trying to explain it all to her. (laughs) And she's like, well, that was lucky, you know, and and the way (laughs) the delivery of that line, um, the facial expressions again, like you guys were talking about earlier, but, um, she is a, a character that's more subtly funny, but still really, really funny too. When she's mm-hmm. asking him for the tools and the Falcon, she's yeah. pointing at it and he's, you know, grabs it six different ones. The one I'm pointing at, you know, right. Yeah. And, 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 and I don't think we could talk about the humor in this film without discussing, uh, <laughs> Chewbacca who <laughs> amped up the humor tenfold in this one. Oh, I mean, that guy man. is always ready to, to gesture, uh, humorously in, in response to somebody's comment. So. And not in a silly way, in, in no. a way that totally works. And I feel like Star Wars humor is hard, and they, they really nailed it. Yeah. The only slight complaint I do have about the humor is there are a few lines that I felt were a little too referential to the original films in a way that was, this joke is going to work on the audience because we are asking the audience to kind of, you know, we're, we're kind of breaking that wall between the audience and, and, and the film and, you know, kind of winking at them and saying like, Hey, remember that part from the old movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's, it doesn't bother me. Um, and in fact, the second time I watched the film, those lines are already starting to just kind of fade into I, the background. I, yeah. I just yeah. accept them as, you know, instead of analyzing it or assessing it and trying to think like, Oh, well, is, is that too much? Did they go too far? I don't worry about it. any you know what I mean? So I feel like, that's a good sign that they're they're really not too bad, but I think I could have done with just a little bit less of that. Um, well, you're clearly talking about the trash compactor line, for sure. Yeah, there's that one. That um, 14 parsecs. Oh, yeah, yeah that yeah. might be the worst one, actually. Um, and and the, it, the problem with those is, like you said, it's you notice them. And it, like, it, like, I don't know. It I feel like it has a dual effect. Like, on some people, it, like, may you know pull them in it may like rekindle like a fire with in them that they haven't felt in like 20 years or 30 years might awaken something in them and i've i feel like those are intentional and i feel like it is kind of just welcoming back like a lot of people um but at the same time you know people like us who have been watching these movies yearly and everything for the past you know 20 years or whatever like they're super jarring and noticeable but 
I also agree with you, John, that the second time I watched the film, I was, you know, I was prepared for them and I just kind of just let them go. And it was really not a big deal. It didn't really take anything away from the experience. I feel like they tried to make an effort to to make those accessible to the audience who maybe didn't get the joke too, though. Like, I, I feel like the line about Finn being in maintenance or having some sanitation. background working in maintenance or sanitation, sanitation. or whatever you said, yeah. me, that meant that, well, he would know if they had a garbage compactor. So yeah. th- that, that made some connection that people may may catch and it, it would make sense to them a little bit more. Plus, I think in that in that particular joke's defense, I really think it was funny how Finn reacted. And I think that his his sort of gleefulness about like, oh, yeah, we do have that. Like, like he was excited that he had some information that could help you know <laughs> yeah well i mean help hurt his or kill his old boss which i don't know I, I thought that was funny yeah i think the test for a line like that is is it funny even if you don't get the reference you know and kevin you, you know make good points that they they find a way um through context and and other things in the film to to make sure that the joke works whether you get the reference or not so i mean i think that you know overall it's it's relatively successful because of that but then at the same time um, they don't work as naturally, right? Like the fact that they have to give Finn this line about being a sanitation worker to help the audience. I, I don't know. I just, I feel like so much of the humor that's not making reference is so natural and it just seems so smooth and, and uh, you don't need anything else to understand it. Whereas this stuff is a little more labored, you know, both in the fact that it's labored in the sense that it's, you know, making an effort to make a call back to something else and it's labored in the sense that now they also have to support the joke with additional you know little details that are really there primarily just because they want that joke to work you know what i mean so it it just you know it definitely feels you don't you don't want to be thinking about what the writer had in mind as that joke was written you just want to accept the joke but a joke like that i, f- I found myself having to sort of it, it just didn't it, it pulled me out a little bit but but as I said, I'm already starting to, you know, not notice it. So I don't ultimately think it's a big deal, but not my favorite aspect of, of the film and not not the parts of the film I found funniest. Um, definitely not. What is the part of the film you found funniest? Hmm. I don't know. It might be the, Hans- the red arm line for me. <laughs> oh, no. It it got me. It got me both times. Even even the second time when I was at the Alamo Draft House and you're not supposed to make any noise, I couldn't help but chortle a bit. I love it. It's so that line is so ridiculous. See, I don't even remember it. I've I've it's been a couple nights since I've seen that movie. <laughs> he tells he tells he tells Han right. He steps you, in yeah. between Han and Leia talking like typical of him. And it's right, so, right. With, and it's Hi, so good because it's so that. very obviously C-3PO. He's the only model <laughs> of that C-3PO. droid who talks You may like not recognize that, me you know. because of my red arm. Yeah, that's the only thing that's different that's right. about him. It's so <laughs> right. good. And even if he had like gotten completely new coverings and looked completely different, Han would probably know who he was because he does that. He like interrupts intimate moments. That's like yes. his MO. So And he's right there with Leia where he's been like this whole time. <laughs> yeah. So, it is a great yes. line. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> it is a great line. I think Chewbacca is one of the funniest parts of the movie. Um, I also think just Han Solo, Harrison Ford's fantastic comedic instincts and his his fantastic uh, sarcastic delivery. You know, his brand of humor is 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 great. And 
you know, Lawrence Kasdan writes Han Solo um, so well, and that gives me definitely some some hope for the the Han Solo spinoff prequel, whatever you want to call it. Um, you know, coming down the line, but Han Solo has some great great lines in this one. Um, I think on par with his with his jokes in in Empire and Jedi, and um, yeah, I he. Yeah, that line when he's uh, on the freighter and the two gangs are kind of cornering him. He said, "When have I ever let you down?" And the one gang says twice, and you see him kind of going like, "What? Well, what was the second one?" <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, and, I, I, and then Chewbacca confirms that they're, they're yeah, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Exactly. No, no, you've, you've definitely let him down. <laughs> well, I love it too when he tells Chewie like, "I'm going to do the same thing I always do, like talk my way out of it." You know, and he says something like, "And yes, I do always get out of it." You know, that every way. time, every every time. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, so. and the part where it's they're like talking about um, Han, like Finn and Ray are talking about Han, and he's like, when they mention like war hero, and uh. Chewbacca's like, eh. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I think BB-8 was also very funny, and uh, and I was a little nervous about BB-8 going into it. I mean, well, I love BB-8. I, I knew I was going to love BB-8, but specifically in terms of the humor, I was a little nervous about BB-8 because of how R2 was presented in the prequels, um, which was often great, but at other times it was like, you know, too much. Actually, I think R2 and C-3PO both were not handled as well as they could have been in terms of the humor. It was, uh, that was definitely not effortless. Um, you mean in the prequels? In the prequels, <laughs> in the prequels yes, yeah. yes, 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 sorry. Um, and so I was a little worried that BB-8 might fall into that same trap in this movie. Um, but uh, I didn't feel that way at all. I thought it was um, it was not overemphasized, and it, it it fit into the film naturally, and uh, it was it was great. And BB-8 was in it a ton, so there was a lot to lose if it didn't work. Right. Yeah. Once they were on the Falcon, you know, then that's where it really all clicked with BB-8 for me when he's looking back and forth about him being in the resistance because, you know, he's duping Ray at that point. Mm. And when he gives yeah. him the thumbs up. Oh, the, oh yeah. I could, lighter. That's lighter. fantastic. So I could see some people and... thinking that one was too much, but I loved that. Yeah, but they, but see now, yeah, I loved it too. And if they did that kind of thing every 20 minutes, it would have been too much. But, you know, that was really the only joke like that with BB-8. So I feel like one or two of those a film, good. But if you try to do it too often, or, and it was like, what, one second of screen? I mean, it was such a quick... Oh, yeah. With R2 in the prequels, they would have dragged, you know, that would have taken like 30 seconds and it would have been some, you know, computer generated. Well, it was probably, that was definitely computer generated, I'm sure, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, so. I, I, I feel like the thing I want to say about BB 8, like, I actually just want to say about all the characters is just like, um, okay, yeah, we have established that, I'm sorry, John, BB 8 is a he, um, yeah, <laughs> according yeah, that... to the producers of the film. <laughs> Um, but he just emotes so well. Like there's just, there's just so much emotion, whether it be humor or concern or determination or whatever, like, and it's, it's impossible to like put into words. It's one of those things that with this like ball, like how do you get this much emotion out of a ball? Like you really just have to see it. It's just like, it's movie magic. It really feels magical about like, just how much emotion is in that little droid. Did any of you guys communicated to the audience? Did any of you guys see the 60 minutes thing? No. Oh, I'm not sure. I saw some of it. it, You know, 
it's such a science to make people like these movies and all that. And they're kind of go through this, the BB eight thing particularly because they have the interviewer. I forget who it is and JJ Abrams. And then some girl that works for bad robot and they're going over it and they're talking about going over BB eight's voice and all this. It's like, okay, you got to make it something unique. You've got to make it something where kids can imitate it because we need them, you know, to, to feel connected to this droid and be able to make the noises. Cause if it's some really obtuse thing that you can't do with your mouth, you know, they really lose that whole connection with kids. And on one hand, I, when I start thinking about that, I'm like, oh, it's kind of gross how, how it's all like so calculated and all that. But I really don't care. Like, you know, when it comes to the end of the day, I don't care. I think it's calculated, but at the same time, I think it's, you know, creating a character like BB-8 that will be endearing to a wide, you know, spectrum of viewers is... Uh, on the one hand it's marketing but on the other hand if you're JJ and you're Lawrence Kasdan and you're the other you know creative minds behind this movie that is also the goal right and I mean not not necessarily about ticket sales it's about you know winning people over you want to do that on a cynical level but also I think more so on a non you know kind of cynical level too so um, yeah but absolutely what an incredibly designed and and heartwarming and endearing character I I I expected there to be this strong relationship between BBA and Ray, which I think was solid. But uh, one of my favorite aspects of BBA is his relationship with uh, Poe. Um, you know, one of the one of the most touching moments in the film, and there's a number of very touching moments, but one of the one of the most touching moments in the film is when when Finn is laying on the ground on the sand in uh, Nima Outpost, and he has to tell, or he you know he tells BBA. Poe didn't make it and BB-8 just immediately like you know I mean I think he he reacts like dips his head down mm-hmm. and looks sad and then he just turns around and rolls away like quickly you know like he just wants to run away from that situation and he goes off to grieve and it's that was that was incredible I thought that's a very yeah. Star Wars thing I mean they were they're, they're finding ways to to capture some of the same essence as R2-D2 had in the, in the and originals yet, yeah, absolutely. And yet BB-8 is not R2-D2. And I was a little worried about that too. Is it just going to be BB-8 is always the hero? BB-8 is kind of spunky and defiant and, you know, because R2 is R2 always saves the day, which I love. And R2 is very much like um, independent and has a mind of his own. And, you know, R2's character, I think, is all about like, uh, even when the other characters don't see a solution, R2 is going to figure it out. I don't necessarily think that that's, I don't see BB-8 that same way. I think BB-8 is, is a different character and uh, absolutely there's some similarities to R2, but you know, they could have just, let's design a cuter version of R2 and then just, you know, have that Slept character. the same personality. Yeah. Yeah. And they didn't. Cam. And they yeah. didn't. Yeah. I mean, BB-8 is BB-8. Um, he's a BB unit. He's orange and white and one of a kind. Um, the, the moment I, I thought you were actually going to say, John, um, that I thought was the most emotional for BB-8 is when they're on the resistance base and they're reunited. Yeah. And he just like flies when he sees Poe Yeah, and he just like flies through and like run, I think he runs into Finn's leg or something and just like, it's the fastest we've seen him move in the movie. And even Poe just exclaims. Yeah. And what a great choice it is that we don't even really get to see. We only get to see it from a distance. 
they don't give us a huge close-up of that. Am, am I remembering that right? Yeah, you're correct. Yeah, I yeah, like you that. See him kind they of don't start overdo to converse it, and then they go, you know. Yeah, yeah, that was that was perfect. So what I want to know, actually, um, you guys, did you see the movie in 3D or 2D for your first viewing? 3D. Yeah, All we three saw of us were in the same showing, 3D. Yeah, we saw it in IMAX 3D, um, which I think actually does make a difference. Um, it, it's not a huge IMAX screen, but our local AMC theater has an IMAX 3D uh, room, and so we saw it in there. Okay. Um, I've only I've only seen it in two D. What was the three D experience like? Uh, I I actually like three D most of the time. Uh, I uh, yeah I, I have seen a few movies in three D that I didn't really like, but uh, I I actually found this this movie fairly tame. As far as the three D goes, I, I didn't really think about it a whole lot during the movie. Hmm. There were a few moments. There was one moment where the Star Destroyer was like. You know, it just looked like it was over everybody's head in the theater and everyone kind of gasped. And it was, you know, that's not the kind of thing I need for like a whole movie, but it's kind of cool when once in a while that kind of thing pops out. Or at the end when Ray's running up the stone steps and there are like some birds, the birds were definitely like, looked like they were flying out over the audience. But for the most part, I thought it was pretty subtle and pretty tasteful and 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 uh, pretty good. Yeah, I uh, I don't like 3D at all. Um, but I I've seen one other 3D film in my life that I thought you know the 3D didn't bother me, and maybe it enhanced um, the experience. And that was Prometheus when I saw that in 3D. And Prometheus in 3D I also saw on an IMAX 3D screen. And For me, I noticed that with the trailers, when because there was a bunch of trailers that were in 2D, and then it went to 3D, and there were trailers that were in 3D, and I started watching those trailers in 3D, and my eyes hurt, and I couldn't focus, and I was thinking to myself, like, this is going to be a really bad experience watching this movie this way, and but then when the movie started, the quality was much better, and I'm thinking maybe they do. Like maybe they don't put the trailers through the same process that they do an actual film to to make them 3D because the quality was was you know quite a bit different in terms of how I could react to it, how I could handle it, um, and I you know I think that most of the times that I go see this movie I'll see it in 2D because um, I just prefer that. Mm-hmm. 
but there were a couple of sequences in 3d that i thought were really cool the millennium falcon tie fighter chase scene on jakku i thought was really good in 3d um and then it was subtle but the final kind of battle um on lightsaber battle um on star killer base the snow the snow looked really cool in 3d um it was very subtle but it just provided depth to the image um that made you kind of feel more immersed you know seeing like little tiny specks of snow little snowflakes um you just felt more enveloped in what was happening and and that's like what kevin was saying would you say it was restrained or tasteful or whatever like yeah subtle um, i think subtle yeah i think that 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 was a good example of how it was it was really cool but it, it wasn't you know a lot of times it wasn't too overwhelming okay I can't see 3D movies, but I saw it twice in in a 3D theater. So and nothing, you, you can't. No, my no my eyes just don't work that way. Huh. Interesting. Never will be able to see them, so it's not really disappointing to me. <laughs> yeah, it's no. not. It really isn't a huge deal. I mean, it, it's kind of cool, but uh, I don't know. I I mostly chose us going to that theater because that's the best. That's the best screen mm-hmm. in our theater. That's the best sound in our in our theater. So that's why I wanted to be in that theater. But mm-hmm. the 3D, I like it. It's cool, but it's not like a must-have thing for me. So I'm not, you know, it, it is, to me, it is worthwhile to do it, though, just because, you know, for the next, for the rest of my life, I'm going to be able to watch that movie on, you know, a TV. But, you know, this I'm not sure what the 3D options are going to be in the future mm. for watching sure. this movie. So it is cool to see it that way. Uh, I do want to mention, though, quickly, like, uh, I'm really excited to check it out in Dolby Vision slash Dolby Atmos, and we have a theater nearby that does that, and I think I talked about it maybe on a previous episode, but um, that's one thing, you know, I try to see the Star Wars movies in the theaters, you know, 10 times or something at least, and and it's fun to see them in different theaters, different ways, different experiences, Mm so I'm looking forward to uh, to doing that. That's why I want to see it in once. I just wanted to hear from you guys, like... Um, if it's yeah. worth doing once and yep. I think it sounds like it is. So I think I'm find a good one with a good sound. Cause I think that really adds a lot to, to any movie, whether it's 3d okay. or not. Cool. Yeah. Um, I wanted to talk, I think because we've, we've talked about a lot of the individual characters and things like that. I think we should talk about some of the big moments in the movie, some of the big scenes. Um, and I guess we could do that sequentially. Um, so, you know, early on there's the kind of the whole Jakku, scene and uh you know i was gonna say we should start with um discussing ray and finn meeting and all that kind of thing but you know actually that that moment when kylo ren is introduced and uh, uh there's definitely something i want to say about that what is that character's name uh it's three words la uh lore santeca or something uh, like that yeah lore something Santeca. Like that. um Mas- lore santeca Max played von by matt <laughs> yeah max von cedo uh-huh um i believe it's cedo rhymes oh. with greedo <laughs> I wish it did rhyme with Greedo. But I I'm think it sh- does. Well, I think it's Max von Sydow, but <laughs> it's all right. We'll, okay. Oh, <laughs> we can I leave that up for debate right now. Give up my jet ski. Think about hitting some sweet This is the waves. crossover. We're going to talk about wave race now. <laughs> I was just going to say. Uh, yeah, remember when Kylo Ren, <laughs> Kylo Ren confronted uh max von Sydow <laughs> at uh, Drake Lake. <laughs> let's not, let's not, let's not confuse the the beauty of. You know, a, a good Japanese jet ski versus the sea dude. Come on. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, Ray would refer to as a sea uh, dude as a 
piece of garbage. I don't know what I'm talking. All right. <laughs> they're they're just after your parts. Uh, <laughs> How many rations do you think she'd get for those sea dew parts? For the sea dew parts on a desert planet, probably not very many. But maybe on that ocean planet with the island, you know. Uh, you mean Camino? No, I mean yeah. the one at the end of the movie. Oh, you see oh, an ocean, oh, oh. you see an island. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, anyway, uh, <clears throat> Max von Sydow's character is uh, really cool, and wow, it's it's a it's an intriguing character that you don't see much from, unfortunately, thanks to Kylo Ren. But his dialogue and the way he addressed Kylo Ren in the beginning, it just immediately it was so cool, and it just made you understand right from the start that. Kylo Ren was going to be a character with a really intriguing backstory and uh, that he would have conflict. I think that was so well written and so well performed by Max von Sydow and, and Adam Driver. And that was just, I mean, really a great scene on so many levels. It, it introduced uh, depth and uh, it, it let you understand that the stakes were high. It let you understand that, that uh, Kylo Ren was a, could be a really heinous and, and uh, you know, evil character. And it introduces in the very first moments in the movie the you know one of the essential the essential ingredients of uh, Star Wars, which is that battle between uh, light and dark, good and bad. You know, very you know, even though Kylo Ren is a character who's conflicted and not quite so black and white in terms of good and evil, that whole morality kind of power struggle between good and evil is the very first thing the film leads with. And it's fairly elegant exposition that we we get some amount of information about backstory. You know, this guy knows this guy knows who Kylo Ren is. This guy this guy knows who Princess Leia is. He right. says, he, right, says right. he you know, he She's thinks of her more as royalty. Thinks of her more as royalty, which which made me think like, well, why is he on that planet? And and I think I think we'll probably learn more about that, even though his character died. And uh I've thought a lot about that. Like he knew Princess Leia, he's on this planet, he has this thing. Was was he there for Ray? Was he there to protect Ray? Sort of like Obi Wan was there to protect Luke on Tatooine. Yeah. yeah. Or was he there to wait to give her this, this uh, map? Whatever it is, who knows? Oh yeah, I don't know. Yeah, but that, it, that definitely seems like that's probably the case, right? That he's there mm. for Ray because of Ray. Um, very intriguing, and I wonder if those are the kinds of questions that we'll get answers to in a film in any way, it kind of seems like we won't find out more about that character um, in, in a film. You know, I'm sure we will in other canon sources, but probably not in a film, I'm guessing. I, I like, though, that they're not afraid to give us a little bit of backstory in those ways without feeling the need to explain every little detail. I felt like we were thrown into this story in the middle, and that's one of the things that Star Wars has always done. And it's, that's and what I was just going to say. It's a very you know, new they've always feel. given you that sense of something yeah. more. Yeah, and I and I like the fact that we have force users or force sensitives in this movie and in this new version of the Star Wars universe that don't have Jedi. to be, you know, dudes in robes with lightsabers like mm-hmm. Ma- Maz Kanata and uh, and Max von Sydow's character, whose name I'm not totally comfortable with yet. You know, they are not Jedi, but they're still part of that universe and they understand the force to you know some extent. I think. Are they force users? No. They're, I think they're so. people who, what? Um, like Lor Santeca, um, he's he treats like the light side as like a religion, 
and I'm again this is visual dictionary stuff um but he's a follower of the church of the force and they're just into like the jedi ideals and okay yeah i think it's it's more of like a belief hmm. system and that's i think that's what like maz kanata is like i mean she she feels it because she's like faithful and spiritual well there you go though i mean she feels it right like I don't think Han Solo feels the Force. I don't even think necessarily that Finn feels the Force. I guess what I'm saying is that there are characters that seem like they can tap into it in small ways. They can be a part of the sort of tapestry of this whole thing with the Force without necessarily having to be the sort of... It kind of seems like chosen individuals that really can utilize it. Mm-hmm. Um so I don't know, you know, and it's, I guess it, at the end of the day, it's probably not that important, but I feel like Maz Kanata even has a line where she says, like, I'm no Jedi, but I can, I don't know exactly, I don't remember exactly what the line is. Dan, you've seen it three times, maybe you remember, but you know the line I'm talking about, right? Yeah, I know what you're talking about. I'm no Jedi, but I, I know the Force, I, I believe is what she says. To me, that indicates some level of use of the force in, in her visions and all like that she's kind of an stuff. untrained like she's an untrained person who had, would have the potential to be a jedi no i don't even think so i well maybe uh, but i don't even think like the potential will be a jedi just the potential to to not be completely blind to it you know an awareness of the force but i mean yeah. if the force flows so i don't think so. everything and everyone like some people might just again it's spirituality it's faith mm-hmm well, and she's been around for a, a thousand years or more, you know, from yeah. what you hear in the movie. Yeah. So she's certainly had time to, even if she's like very weak, quote unquote, in the force, she's certainly had a lot of time to attenuate herself to and, it. And it's like yeah. Leia. Like, she obviously is strong in the force. I mean, she has a lot of it in her. Um, but like, she's not out swinging lightsabers or anything or training jedi right yeah although i think that she could have you know um i think she could have but uh that wasn't her path and it wasn't what she where she felt her talents were and and that kind of thing you know i I think she probably thought i'm more useful leading the the resistance and the rebellion and the republic and that kind of stuff that's where my expertise is. So I could go spend the next 10 years trying to become a Jedi. Um, but I already have these talents that need to be (laughs) used right now. So I'm going to do that. But, uh, back to Jakku with, uh, with that scene. And we, we sort of get that introduction with Poe and, and uh, I'm I'm not going to be able to get his name until I see the movie a couple more times. Laura Senteca. Um, when Kylo comes in, after after the stormtroopers and everything the scene that that has been in my head ever since seeing the movie a couple days ago is when kylo stops Mm. the blaster bolt in midair and we see this new force talent that we've never seen before that just sort of blew my imagination apart i remember seeing the prequels and seeing them you know do things like run really fast and 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 seeing these things that jedi can do that we never saw in the old movies and and this showed me like that their imaginations are not limited to the the original trilogy or the prequels like they are the the filmmakers here are willing to to think outside the box and to and to come up with cool new things and that was that was awesome it was cool um part of me 
I guess because I overanalyze everything. Part of me was thinking like, well, why could he do that? And I never saw like Darth Vader or somebody who, you know, you would assume has more training and more skill than, than Kylo Ren. I never saw somebody else do that. But I don't, I, I'm glad that, that the filmmakers are not, you know, kind of uh, limiting themselves to only allowing these characters to do things that we've already seen. Well, magic and magic always opens up. I'm saying magic in a broad term, sure. like in a literary sense, magic always is going to open up plot holes. Like why did why did Obi-Wan not do that really fast dash to get through those you know force field doors to Darth Maul? Like yeah. you know any well, movie with time travel there are going to be plot holes, but you know I I'm glad personally even if there's some even if it creates some issues with the way we think about Jedi in, in the past movies, I'm glad that they're open to, to trying new things and to using their imaginations. I think this is a more tasteful version of expanding the Jedi's or the, the force users powers than, than what happened in the prequels too. Like, the, you know, sometimes like in the prequels, like that, that fast dashing and being able to jump like 40 feet in the air and stuff. It was, I don't need them to be Superman, you know? Um, and so I, I kind of like, this seems like a more natural use of the force, I think too. Um, and it felt so. really frightening. It, 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 there was a lot of tension there when that bolt was. I mean that that was just really. I've never seen anything like that in a movie. And then when when he let it go and it, you know, that, yeah. that was great. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. It, it felt like there was a lot more of like mind reading as well with the force, like with Kylo Ren. We've never seen that, have we? Except except maybe Vader a little bit when he's you know. Your thoughts betray yeah. you. Mm-hmm. But it, it, it felt like, well, the like, a, a, similar like, thing a, as well. <clears throat> like a mutant power, like what Jean Grey has with like telekinesis mm. and or like Professor X and, you know, mind reading and stuff. And it was um, and like, I'm, I'm OK with it. It was just different. And, you know, this is like a different time period. You know, there's fluctuations in the force. This is an awakening. Mm. Um, things are just different and um, you know the training has been different for Kylo Ren and stuff and it's uh, I think it's I think it's cool and intriguing I just kept thinking that different characters have different ways that they connect to the force and and his his seemed pretty unique right off the bat there in that yeah. in that scene on Jakku yeah um you know, speaking of the Force, another moment I think that we should definitely discuss because it's, I don't want to say controversial, but I think it's its open to interpretation, is the scene in which Ray has the vision or the flashback or the memory or the premonition or whatever you want to call it in Maz Kanata's castle when she touches, um, you know, Anakin and Luke's uh, lightsaber there. Um, I... I definitely feel like I don't know how I interpret that yet, but I think it's, there's a couple different ways it could go. So, you know, I've seen it twice now. There's, I think I need to watch that scene very closely a number of times before I can really make any conclusions, but there's a lot to, mm-hmm. to discuss. I think I, I, I th- I've been thinking about that scene a lot and I've only seen it once. You guys have seen it two, th- even three times in the case of Dan. I think where I'm at with that scene is that those were flashbacks and that she's remembering specific events that happened to her. And judging by the scenes that we see, it seems to me that she has seen the Knights of Ren. That that she obviously is remembering being dropped off on Jakku. Uh, isn't there something with oh, with Luke? Mm-hmm. With Luke the, and R2. She, she was maybe somebody yeah. who was trained by Luke. 
or at least knew him and was around him. I think those were memories. I think that when she when she touches it, she she taps into these memories, and it, it, what that says to me is that this is somebody. Ray is a character who is in the past of our our other protagonists. She she knew Luke. She knew Leia. She knew Kylo. Possibly a, a daughter of 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 Leia and Han that we haven't heard about, or or even Luke. I I don't know. We don't have the answers to that, and I think we're supposed to be considering all that stuff now. But I think that was a flashback. Well, we get other people's voices in there, kind of like we did with Anakin when he has the dream, and I think it's episode two. You hear Obi-Wan say her name, Ray. For and real? That, yeah. And I, I on Twitter, they said with, uh, what's his James name? James Arnold voices Taylor. Clone Wars. It's James Arnold Taylor? No, it's not. It's Ewan McGregor. Ewan McGregor's voice is in The Force Awakens. Yes, because he said on Twitter, I was in it originally, but then they got Ewan to yes. do it. I want to say, though, I want to say, though, that I... I don't want to be, you know, too contradictory here, but I don't think it can be a memory. And that's what a lot of people have been saying. She sees herself in the woods with Kylo Ren in that premonition or in that vision, and that hasn't happened yet. And to me, it is uh, another version of what Luke sees in the cave, you know? It can't be a memory. Like half of I don't I don't think she was there for all those things. And I understand how one could come to that conclusion based on, you know, a couple of details, but there are things that she definitely has not yet seen. She will experience them, but she hasn't seen them yet. So I, it, I, it's too simple to call it a memory, I think. Well, yeah, and there's the whole thing with Kylo Ren, and I'm assuming what are the Knights of Ren in that like rainy battlefield where they've killed a bunch of people. We don't know who they are, and I, I don't yeah. think she would have been there for that. No, and, and but a lot of people, uh, the prevailing, the predominant um, theory I hear is that she was there and Kylo Ren killed everyone but her. But I don't subscribe to that one. I don't I don't think so. But that's that's what most people seem to think that she witnessed it and you know, he chose not to kill her and he killed everyone else. I, I don't think she was there personally. I'm looking at this picture. Uh, Dan has pulled up some stills of that scene. Is that Constable Zuvio? No, 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 no. Pablo Hidalgo um confirmed that that's not the constable. Oh, okay. Um, okay. Interesting. He, he specifically addressed that because some people thought so because of the shape of the helmet or hat or whatever it is. It's not the constable, unfortunately. Um, Bummer. That's a, we're going to do an entire podcast on the constable's uh, absence, I think, at some point. Yeah. Um, so, no, that's not the constable, which would be a very much a left field uh, <laughs> reveal. It turns out Constable Zubio is actually, I don't know, I don't know what he would be, but... Uh, a pretty powerful figure in the in the universe. Well, he yeah. absolutely is. Um, <laughs> we just didn't get a chance to experience it in this film. I don't know. I think it's, I think it's a mixture um, of kind of like what Kevin was saying. Like, I totally subscribe to the idea that maybe Rey and Kylo Ren were maybe trained around the same time by Luke. I feel like that's a possibility. Um, but I also feel like, yeah, obviously some of this stuff is in her future still. Um, yeah, upon upon looking back at Dan's these stills, I, I agree because some of it she's seems to be the same age. Or The know. one thing I noticed before I even uh, was looking at these stills that I found online is, you know, they have the part where she's the young girl probably you know six seven eight years old Mm -hmm. 
yelling no 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 and the the hand that's holding her really looks like the hand of the guy that's giving out the portions the rations yeah yeah I think so. Simon I mean, that's obvious. Yeah. And that's obviously her being dropped off on Jakku and not wanting to be left there, you know? Um, I don't know, but I can't. Um, no, I lost my train of thought. Was... Maybe now's not the time to be doing I don't know, though. It's been so fun in the last few days to do that, like in my discussions with people to talk about, like, what there's, do we think? You but know, there's still so national... much of this movie we haven't talked about. <laughs> It's true. Yeah. Uh, it is true. I, I feel like we could have a total... Buckle up, five-hour yeah. podcast. <laughs> I, <laughs> no. I mean, uh, eventually we're going to have to go to sleep. Um, I feel like we could have definitely have a separate like theory episode after we've seen the movie a few more times, and I would love to do that. But there's still so okay. much about the actual movie I want to talk about. All right. Well, we talked about uh, that premonition scene. There's obviously a lot of cool action sequences. Um should we jump to the discussion of Han Solo at Starkiller Base? I feel like that's kind of the next major scene that needs to be talked about. Yeah. I know it hurts, but, uh, um, but yeah, so I mean, I, let's, let's just touch on Starkiller Base in general first. That's okay. the next I mean, major scene. I think we all kind of had the same thing. Um, seeing it on the poster when it came out a couple months ago, I was like, all right, whatever. I, let's do the Death Star again, I guess. And once we got to it and saw it, I mean, it's more or less the same thing. It's got a damn port on it again that they can blow up. And yeah, the size and scale and way it works is different and everything. But, you know, it, like a lot of other things in this movie, I, even though I felt like it was fan service to a degree, I really didn't care when it came down to it, seeing it in the movie and seeing how it fit in yeah i don't like it and i also don't care like i mean I, I don't hate it but like it definitely doesn't do anything for me and i would probably prefer a different method of you know accomplishing what they wanted to accomplish with that but at the same time you know it's it's not and, and we've talked about this a bunch kevin it's not a focus it's it's something that's there and it's not given nearly as much screen time as other more important elements of the movie. In A New Hope, that's the big thing that is happening. Right. That's the thing that has to be overcome. Right. Here, it's, I, you know, it's a serviceable but, plot point more, you know. And a lot, of, a lot of people have pointed out that this movie very closely uh, mirrors or echoes A New Hope. But, and this is something we discussed after the movie. I think all of us kind of think that more than that, this is sort of a mix of a lot of elements from the entire original trilogy. Yes, yes. And, and it, it was reminding me more of Return of the Jedi because the blowing up the Death Star was only one thing that was happening. And One thing I had and read then about... It, it combined it with, the, with the, the Empire ending too, with the reveal, Luke, I'm your father. We get, instead of that, we get the Han confrontation with Kylo, which was, was very different, mm-hmm. but felt, felt so heavy and similar in some ways as well. One thing I had read online about the Starkiller base that really kind of, I hadn't thought about, but it really made sense. Something that they did to kind of connect you to the destructive power of that, that they hadn't done in any of their movies was when you see the people, the citizens on the one planet seeing that red light coming at them and that you, you know that it's the end of those people. You're, you're more connected to what that weapon's actually doing than just seeing it blow up this planet, you know? Yep, and I think a lot of the, I don't know, critics or, or people who want to, 
I don't know. I've, I've heard a lot of people say that uh, it doesn't make any sense. Why would they do this again? They've already had two Death Stars destroyed by the Rebellion or whatever, but why do it again? And my response to that is, hey, the original Death Star destroyed an entire planet, Alderaan, and it came extremely close to accomplishing its next goal, which was destroying the entire Rebellion. Then, um, I mean, yes, the second Death Star was destroyed, but um, with Starkiller Base, it what did it take out, like, five planets? Like, basically an entire system? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Hosean? Hosnian, yeah. yeah. So, so to say, like, oh, yeah, it's so silly to even bother with this again. Like, they never have any success with it. I mean, yes, ultimately they've been thwarted, but <laughs> the stakes They're are They're going back high. to what they know, like Han and Leia. And apparently they destroyed the entire resistance, or they, they <laughs> destroyed the entire New Republic government, you know? So I, I would say right. that uh, it's kind of worth the effort, you know? Yeah, and I mean, <laughs> guess what? Like, actual militaries in, like, our real world do have been doing like the same stupid stuff for like 500 years and like getting the same results and um that that does happen you know this was yeah this was a tough thing for me because i don't know i think it was around the time of um the re-releases of the film that like my that was when my star wars like fandom kicked in in like what 97 um about when like the thx versions and everything came out like that was when i started really really caring about star wars and that was also when i was at like my most insufferable teenage years as well um and i was just like an awful like snarky nerd and stuff and like at that point like i developed this like hatred of the the second death star and like i thought it was like the dumbest thing um, that they would do it again, and um, and you know p- part of that was probably like informed by like Clerks was like my favorite movie at the time, and there's all these other factors. Um, so I kind of think with that, when you think about the timeline of it all, they probably started building them at least started building the second one before the first one was even complete necessarily. They're like, all right, we're gonna build this one, but now we know how we can make it bigger and stronger. Let's get this other one going. Sure. And, you know, like, as John said, like, you might as well, like, even if it gets blown up, like, it's still going to do some, like, ridiculous amount of damage that it's it's worthwhile. But um, so I've always just had this, like, deep-seated, like, annoyance with the second Death Star. So um, obviously I wasn't, like, a huge fan of what is essentially the third Death Star. But mm-hmm. um, But then again, like you said, Dan, like, I think it's kind of dumb, but it, in the end, I didn't care because there's so much other cool stuff that's going on around it. Like, and even just the planet itself is awesome. Like, I love this like mm-hmm. really tree-filled, snow-covered planet. And they don't explain it at all. Like, I'm still, I still, my my imagination is interested in like how did they build that and what is the deal with it like it's well, they, just this snow-covered planet that well they, if you want to see little... neil deGrasse tyson said he's going to comment on it on twitter but mm-hmm. he's holding off until monday because he doesn't want to spoil stuff for people oh interesting <laughs> and they do discuss it a little bit in that briefing room um the the resistance does but yeah not in any detail although you know honestly one of my bigger issues with it is to me it feels a little too sci-fi-y it doesn't quite feel... I mean, I guess that was the case with the Death Star too. but 
the whole like you know seeing like the power of the sun sucked down to that planet and then it just feels a little bit i don't know not quite Trek-y? star wars it's a little too technical yeah i mean kind of like yeah. Trek reboot kind of I don't know. I don't know enough about Trekkers or the Trek reboot to be sure about that. But yeah, kind of vaguely not Star Wars, too too techy, too sci-fi kind of vibe. Well, Star Wars isn't isn't traditionally sci-fi. I mean, it's, right? Science isn't really the focus Mythology of Star Wars. I've always fantasy. thought of Star Wars as more of a fantasy. Yeah, right. Which is why like Kylo Ren's lightsaber, while initially jarring, I think is like perfect for Star Wars. And then something like this is more probably would be more at home in in something that is more traditionally sci-fi. Um, but my, my other thing I want to say about it real quickly is that I kind of went into this movie with the impression that the while the Resistance is a small group and it's kind of a fringe thing, it's not completely endorsed by the, the New Republic, I got the impression, too, that the, the First Order was also, though powerful, a relatively small group, right? And so you have the Resistance, which is small, and then you have the First Order, which is small, but then you have this giant New Republic. And for the First Order to be a legitimate threat to the Republic as a whole, I feel like maybe they need something like this. Otherwise, the Republic is probably made up of, you know, how many, however many, you know, systems and governments and, you know, planets and whatever. And and so the First Order, they're, they're small, and they need a way of leveling the playing field. And when you, you know, even back at Celebration in April when we first started hearing about Oh yeah, well actually it's not the rebellion in the empire, it's or the new republic in the empire, it's the resistance in the first order. It seemed like you have these two kind of idealistic groups that are fighting each other, which I think is what we got. Mm-hmm. But that's not necessarily I guess a galactic conflict. I mean it is because it touches, you know, things from all over, but it's it's more of like these two different idealistic groups are are against one another. But the stakes aren't as high as they are in the original trilogy, if that's the case. But now that Starkiller base has essentially destroyed the New Republic, what are you left with? You're left with those two groups. Mm-hmm. So the, the, the playing field is, is, is more level, and then I think the stakes become higher because there isn't some much more powerful, legitimate government anymore. You have a vacuum of power again, and like who's going to ultimately kind of push ahead and be the ones who do take control? Because I don't think the First Order really had a prayer against the New Republic as it stood. That's just the feeling I'm getting. So in that sense, you do need something like this. Even if it's a little hokey or a little cheesy or it's too similar to the Death Star, you need something like this to kind of to make that aspect of, the, of, the, of this trilogy work, I think. And, you know, the, the prequels kind of prove that people don't want the politics and government of the Star Wars mm-hmm. um universe in in those films but it is crazy like how little of that stuff we get to kind of like explain this conflict because um you know if you're not like us really digging into the extra materials whether it be like you know reading stuff on the internet or you know reading the novels or whatever like you wouldn't know about like the like galaxy-wide disarmament that happened after Return of the Jedi and you wouldn't know about like you know Leia splintering off the resistance because you know they she didn't feel like the um, Republic was you know taking the First Order as a threat yeah I don't know any of this stuff because I haven't read any of the comics or any of the books like you guys have been doing 
Um, and I was having a discussion online earlier, kind of, kind of what you mentioned, John, it's like the first order is smaller. They don't have the resources that the empire had. And we see much more brutality from them and, you know, just a lot more really aggressive actions because they need to try to establish themselves in that vacuum. Yeah. It's funny though, because I think that some of the complaints that we're getting about, about this movie the very few i mean it's universally loved it seems like but a couple of the complaints are things that i think are the result of a reaction to the prequels the the political discussion was a huge complaint probably a top five complaint of the the prequels and that's something that i think they intentionally avoid in this movie because of the prequels just just like the you know I, I see people complaining a little bit about the similarities, too many similarities to the original trilogy. Well, one of the main complaints with the prequels is they didn't feel like the original trilogy. Yeah, it's funny how that works. <laughs> funny how, how nerds right. are. Yeah, so we're on Starkiller Base, and uh, there's some plot points about blowing it up or something. And then Han Solo um, winds up with Chewbacca um, in this in this i don't know what do you call it like the a trench or a what is it like it's, it's a very a, star wars looking you know where they're walking down corridors with these big cavernous pits and holes and, mm-hmm. and, and bridges and everything's metal i guess it's like the channel that the laser will probably shoot through or something isn't it i, I don't know it, it, well it's over on the the stabilizer or whatever they're calling it it's okay you know that shaft that looks like it's going down to the middle of the planet to help contain all this power okay okay so then um kylo ren is there looking for han han is there and in a really beautiful moment between han and leia earlier they discussed the fact that you know of course kylo ren is their their son and uh and leia pleads with han um, and you know, there's some shades of Luke here, but pleads with Han that, no, I know there's still good in him. I know he can return to us. I know that he can be brought back. And she basically asks him to do that, right? She asks Han to bring her son back. Bring him home. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And Han seems to be more pragmatic about this. He seems to think <laughs> it's not likely. Yeah, um, Luke couldn't but, bring him back. Like if, if Luke failed him, right. what can I do? And. And by the way, what a great response oh from Leia. Awesome. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I have chills. Luke's a Jedi. You're his father. Mm. It's <laughs> so good. Um, and very close to the, the themes of Star Wars as George, as George describes them. It's been a family yeah. story. Yeah. Um, and, and so, you know, Han walks out onto that bridge. He gets, he gets Kylo Ren's attention by calling him Ben, which is a... Uh, a nice reference, I think, to um, Ben Kenobi, of course. And, and, and odd EU, that, right? There, there is mm. a Ben in the EU, I believe. But is it one of their kids? But it has to be significant or symbolic in some way that they use the name Ben, right, and not Obi Wan or I don't know. Why did they choose Ben? Yeah, what? I don't know because Ben wasn't that significant to Leia, right? And definitely or not Han, to Han, yeah, or Han, right? But then again, I don't know. They're not going to call him Anakin, right? So what what, what would they call him? Um, oh, it was Jason I don't know. Solo was the, the kid. Yeah, it was from- Jason and Jaina and Anakin. 
they had a younger son named Anakin. I think there's a Ben, but is it is it Luke's kid or I, I haven't uh, read. That probably is. I, I, yeah. I, if I read that EU book, it was a long time ago. I apologize I to anybody it. who's listening who's a fan of the EU and we don't know what we're talking about. But uh, <laughs> we just yeah. we just lost half of our Sorry. listeners. Right. Um, <laughs> but he walks out there and he is. Uh, you know, he gets his attention. He walks out there and he says, look, come home. You know, we miss you. And uh, Adam Driver in that moment, incredible, is he not? Oh his performance. God. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, as an informed moviegoer, the writing's on the wall. What's going to happen <laughs> here just because of the way they're setting the whole thing oh, up. Yeah. But like, as far as the dialogue and the, the, the look on his face and the way they're interacting, there's part of me that was just like, man, maybe he really is going to... Maybe he really is going to turn over mm-hmm. here and just go back. I think every time I watch this movie for the rest of my life, I'm going to hope that he just doesn't, you know, that, that Han succeeds. Yeah. The the tension's so high in the scene, even like seeing it a second time. Like, it's just so intense and your stomach is just in knots. Like, it's just such an amazing delivery by the actors. Yeah, I was shaking my head and kind of slapping my knee. And like, I think I grabbed my wife's arm and I was just like, I, I, I tried not to be too obnoxious about it, but I was just like saying like, no, no, no out loud as I was watching it. Like I might've said some other words too, but I, I just, it was so clear what was going to happen. And yet it, and yet it wasn't because it did leave you wondering, right. Um, until that final moment, even when they both have their hands on the lightsaber, is he giving Han the lightsaber so that he won't do the thing he is about to do? Is he giving Han the lightsaber because he wants Han to kill him? And that's what I was thinking initially when I was watching it. Dad, will you do... Because he says, you know, basically, like, will you help me out? And Han Solo says, sure, anything. Yep. I thought it was kill me. I know what I need to do, but I'm too scared to do it. Right. Like, I don't want to kill myself, so can you do it for me? Um, And I think all of that is... I I think we're supposed to be wondering all of those things. What a a brilliantly orchestrated moment. Yeah. And then, of course... um, you know, even though you're hoping Kylo Ren will make the right call, he chooses to end Han Solo's life with the lightsaber. Um, and I think that it is acted and written and directed um, very, very well. Um, and obviously, it's it's the moment we all kind of knew was coming and we didn't want to have happen. But we, we um, had this conversation was, many times. Yeah. Yeah, it's probably going to go down. I was shaking. I I, I could not stop shaking. And I, I, it was... I don't know that... I wasn't sobbing in the way that I have in movies before. I did the second time. I don't... I don't I mean, maybe I will tomorrow. It's going to be my second viewing. But I don't know that I've ever been that distraught, even though I wasn't sobbing. I just... And, you know, his Han's only reaction is just to reach out and touch yeah. his face. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, <clears throat> I don't know if it's has more gravity now that I'm a parent. Yeah. Thinking that. But like, man, it was just And I and I've heard some complaints about that moment and I think that I don't think you have to be a parent, but I think you have to be willing to consider the kind of love that Han would have for that character even though he's committed these atrocities, even though he is an evil character at this point or mostly evil character, because there does seem to be some conflict within him, but you have to be able to understand that that love that, that he would have for him. And I think that, you know, one of the great aspects of that scene and the way it plays out is that 
you never have... I don't even know if Han has a look of surprise on his face. Maybe he does. Dan, does he look surprised? I don't even know if he ever looks surprised. I, I wouldn't call it surprise, really. I and mean, he definitely doesn't look angry. It's not like Darth Maul when he gets cut and he just right. has that like face, you know? But And I don't think he looks angry. I don't think he looks surprised. I think he looks resigned, um, which yeah, I guess that, you'd have a... to be when you have a lightsaber in your belly. But, you know, he looks resigned to the fact that, like, this is how it was going to go down. And... Uh, and he still went out there, you know. He's well. It's a it's a key gesture by Han Solo, not only to his son, not only to himself, but to Leia. Yeah. There's so many things to to think about when this is happening, and he walked out on that platform probably thinking that that was what was going to happen. Yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. and he did it anyway. Absolutely, he's absolutely. He and hesitates I, it, for a moment. I feel like he hesitates before he even calls out, and he like composes himself before he even says the word Ben. Like, because yeah. I, I think he knows. Well, he knows he's taking a great risk. He knows he's taking a leap of faith, and he knows that, you know, the chances are much stronger that it's not going to work out in his favor than it will. You know, I think he knows, but I, I, I believe that he, he knows there, or he, he, he feels there is some hope. You know, I don't think he's, doing it just because, well, I made a promise to Leia I'd do yeah. it, so I'm going to do it. I mean, he he wants Kylo Ren to to uh, to come back, and I think he thinks there's a very small chance, and I think he believes He has so much confidence that... in himself, too, because he's Han Solo, and he does believe... Well, and Maz Kanata called him out earlier. He can talk himself out of anything, too. You know, Maz sure. calls him out earlier talking about, you know what you need to do. You, you've been running away from this for too long, mm-hmm. and... She says she's been running away from the dark side, you know? Yeah. I don't know, though. I think that's one of the satisfying things about the conclusion of Han Solo's story is in that moment, he's really not Han Solo. Like Han Solo who's out for himself, Han Solo who's brash, and Han Solo who's who's uh, afraid to be vulnerable. He's the opposite of Han Solo in so many ways in that moment. He's vulnerable. Uh, he He's not confident. He's scared. And he is completely i think he's completely selfless in that moment 100 this, this is the magnified version of the han solo that comes back to save luke it, it reminded me mm. of that moment but even there there's that cockiness you know what i mean sure and here i mean there is I, there's no concern i mean there's concern but there's no there's no emphasis on this on himself and it's not about like i have this confidence in myself that i can make this happen it's it's more it's probably not going to work, but it's worth doing. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. It's it's even hard to describe because it's there's it's it's a very complex moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and they don't let you think about it for very long because we're, we're very quickly forced to look at Chewie dealing with it. Yeah. Which, ugh. But I think I think that I think that the 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 most moving and most powerful and most interesting scenes in in Star Wars films are the ones that require that kind of introspection and the ones that you can really kind of think about and debate back and forth, Mm -hmm. you know, for years. And I think that this is one of those scenes. It's not, it's not that straightforward where, you know, it's not worth kind of careful consideration. This is a top five moment in star Wars. And that is saying something. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, I just, the first time I saw this scene, I 
like, yes, I was saddened by it, of course. Like, losing Han Solo is huge. Like, of course mm -hmm. I was saddened and devastated by it, but I also knew it was coming. Um, yeah. I mean, all the signs going into this movie. Like, you... I mean, John, you and I had this discussion, like, multiple times, mm -hmm. extended, like, this was the way things were going to play out, whether we liked it or not. And mm -hmm. we were prepared. Um, but I think what affected me most was the scene when Chewbacca came down to get Rey and mm -hmm. he was flying the Falcon solo. Yeah. Yeah, and I I immediately was thinking about Chewbacca and at the it hit me during that scene it hit me right away that oh, there's a reason why Rey can understand Chewbacca and why they went out of their way to tell us that Chewbacca likes you. Chewbacca and... likes you. Yeah, because now he's going to need somebody else. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, you know, I expected to break down and, and cry as I have in the movie theater watching Star Wars films before, most notably Revenge of the Sith. I expected that overwhelming emotional reaction to hit me. And, uh, you know, it didn't. And I was a little disappointed, to be honest with you, when the movie was over. I never broke down. I, I, I never, there was never a moment where tears were streaming down my face when I watched this movie. And I can't believe it because Han Solo dies, you know. Um, but uh, I think it's, it's, I don't know, it might almost be more powerful that the way the scene was handled was not just a, I don't I don't feel like they tried to manipulate my emotions too much with that in, in the way that they could have, I guess. Um, and an example of that is something that I think I would change if I directed the movie, but they don't linger on Chewbacca's mourning the way you would expect them to. I feel like Chewbacca's pain is more emphasized in Empire Strikes Back when Han's just being put in carbonite than it is here when when he's gone forever. There are two shots, I think, where where Chewbacca is, you know, suffering. And, I mean, they definitely make it known that this is painful for Chewbacca, but I don't... I feel like they could have been a lot more obvious, a lot more... They could have cashed in on that more than they did. Well, I think they they chose to show restraint with that rather than to to go too melodramatic and the 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 writers gave chewbacca a shot on kylo ren which i think was cool it which was cool. you know what which helps i was ray fight kylo ren effectively i think mm. i was thinking about exactly i was thinking about that when i was watching it today you're watching through the whole movie that thing is knocking everybody on their ass and kylo ren takes it and does not fall down like he doesn't even fall down he that's true you know it's kind of insane mm. Because there's this, you know, there's the spot when um, Finn is fighting against that stormtrooper with the like gun with the laser shit on it, and he comes jumping at him in the air and he blasts him and he Flies, just flips backwards. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Through the yeah. whole movie, I was noticing that. Like, I don't remember that from any of the other movies. Well, and, you know, Han talks about that. He's like, "Hey, I like this thing." Right. You know? Right. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, kind of leading us into that end fight with with uh, Ray and Kylo Ren. People, some people are talking, you know, how, how it's unrealistic. She's kicking this guy's butt and she has no training, nothing like that. Well, he took a bolt from that thing, which has been killing people 
you know, dramatically through the whole movie. Like they kind of emphasized to a degree. And he also got hit in both of his arms, which I noticed today too. Um, but, uh, and, and her whole coming along story, it's, I, I think it plays into the whole title. Uh, there was an awakening. She doesn't really know what's happening. She doesn't understand it. She's sitting there at the end when he says something about the force. He, she's, he says, you know, you don't know how to use the force. I want, let me, let me, let me yeah. teach you. Yeah. You need a teacher. And she, something like clicks and she's like, Oh crap. All this stuff that's been going on. That's the force. Yeah. You know? And, and I think my childhood memories of the force tell me that the force was something that's wildly unpredictable and powerful. And when I see Finn fighting Kylo Ren and, and she's kind of winning, I, I'm thinking about the power of the force and how interesting and fascinating and, mysterious it is and that's not necessarily the same type of force that we get in some of the prequels you know we yeah it's, it's pretty cut and dry and i'm not uh, again I, I hate to prequel bash i love i love those movies but uh there's something really really human going on even though it's the supernatural and the, and the force and all the stuff that's not human watching ray fight kylo ren was extremely exhilarating well, and this because is what, I didn't know what was going to happen and because it, it played out in a way that I could not have predicted. This is one of the reasons, though, too, I think that the idea that Rey was there at the Jedi Academy or whatever it is that Luke started and saw Kylo Ren kill all those people and she was also training with Luke. I, I think this is one of the reasons that that theory is kind of underdeveloped because, you know, what's powerful in this movie is the way Rey teaches herself to use that Jedi mind trick. What's powerful in this movie is that Rey picks up that lightsaber and you expect her to not be good with it, but she is. And it's not because she's trained. It's because, I mean, she she is, I think they make a point to show us earlier on Jakku that she's good with that staff so that you know she's she's right. got some she's combat She's actually ability. competent. And, yeah. She is, but I don't feel like what she does in that fight against Kylo Ren is just like, oh, well, let me just use this lightsaber the same way I used that staff earlier. I think it's, to me... It's the awakening, right? She is learning her power, but she's teaching herself. And like, for it to be like, well, actually, when she was five or six years old, she did spend a year at the Jedi Training Academy with Luke Skywalker. I don't like that. I like the idea that she is somebody, she says in the trailer and in the film, I'm no one. She doesn't say, well, I'm somebody who's going to be a Jedi because I already started my training. That's not what it is. You know, she is somebody who doesn't know her potential, just like Finn. She doesn't understand her potential. Not in the same way, but it's different. But, you know, she doesn't understand her potential. And it, it she's so powerful in the Force. And it's so much her destiny to be the hero that she's becoming that she is able to teach herself. And I think it speaks to the purity of her intentions and the fact that she doesn't have any of the chaos and selfishness and confusion and pain and suffering she does have pain but not in the way that kylo ren does and i think that you know they may be equally powerful in the force but he's not able to use it in the way that she can um and it's not about training he has the training she doesn't and yet she is the one who is you know superior there i think she she becomes kind of like a lightning rod for the force in that moment like she's like she's does not know where that's coming from and i found that really exciting and I, and I think it, it it builds the force in a way that makes me very interested to see how the force is used in subsequent movies. And it's yeah. it's also important to take into consideration that she has been surviving on a desolate desert planet for like 
19 years by herself um filled with like very dangerous people and aliens and stuff and she has been completely providing for herself and that for like almost 20 years and i mean right. i think that's also uh, worth yeah. considering like how ha exactly has she been able to do that and well yeah let's let's remember that luke luke took on vader <laughs> twice uh, in, in the movies mm -hmm. and you know vader was anakin who was supposed to be one of the best lightsaber fighters ever one of the best pilots Jedi's ever, ever one in of the, the first pilots movie, ever you know and then you know luke is able to to defeat him and i know that yeah he's injured and he's crippled and all that stuff by by some of his injuries but i think i think that i think that we're supposed to assume that the force was very strong with luke and some of that happens in the same way with ray and and no one no one called luke a mary sue you know in that moment in that battle um i i noticed it more on the second viewing uh, the camera focuses on this and lingers, and so it's you know it's not any kind of secret or anything. But I love the moment where that lightsaber is sticking out of the snow, mm. and it reminds me of Hoth when Luke uncovers. I I assume when I watch that, maybe I'm maybe I shouldn't you know based on other stuff and you know books and comics and whatever. But I assume when 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 Luke uses the Force to remove that lightsaber from the snow, um, and defeat that Wampa that that's the first time he's ever done that. And he, he did it in that moment because he had to do it, you know? And then to see Kylo Ren who's trained and, you know, has this expertise and all that, try to use his power to, to bring that lightsaber to him and for Ray to be the one who is successful where he is unsuccessful. And his reaction right then yeah. is like just dumbfounded when he yeah. sees it fly past his face and he's expecting it to stop in his hand, you know? Yeah. Chills. That's an incredible moment. It definitely is. And I, I was talking to Kevin earlier. I, I'm not to this part in the novelization yet, um, but apparently they they talk um, during that fight where Snoke is almost provoking her to kind of continue along and finish off Kylo Ren. And they don't... What Snoke is? Yeah. And they don't... You know, they don't do any of that outright in the movie but you kind of see it in her face similarly to Luke in Return of the Jedi where like he's gonna kill Vader and that's it and then he like kind of snaps out of it. he's like no we're not I'm not I'm not going the, down this road and he stops and she kind of does the same thing in that fight with Kylo so is it time to talk about Snoke yeah let's go um Snoke for me is a character that's not very interesting right now. One of the biggest disappointments in the movie for me, uh, not something that really gets in the way of me enjoying the movie in any way, but it's not something I, I really liked very much. But I also think that, you know, the character could be explored in ways in the next two movies that would, you know, make it, make him more interesting and make him, someone that I, I, I'm, I enjoy more, but as of now, not a lot there that I find very interesting. It sounds like there's more on him in the novelization. So once, once you start digging into that, cause I, I've just been reading snip snippets here on Reddit about it. 
Um, and I've, I haven't actually gotten to any of it in the audiobook yet, but they do give some more details on him, like I was mentioning in that fight. And they also talk about, you know, Han and, Han and Leia both talk about him as if they know him. And there's some more in-depth dialogue about that whole thing, apparently, as well. Novelizations are a weird thing. I'm going to read this one, and I'm looking forward to it. But I, I like Star Wars stories that exist outside the movies. But then, like, when there is a movie, I want the movie to stand on its own. You know what I mean? Like, I want to read the book, and I'll enjoy reading the book. But then it also makes me, like, not nervous, but it makes me uncomfortable to think, I could watch a scene in the movie and I don't have all the information I need to really understand it just from watching that scene in the movie, you know? So like Yoda meditating in episode three. Yeah. Well, that's true, but that was in the script and then it was pulled. I don't know. Whatever. I wonder how much of the novelization is in the script and then was cut. It'll be interesting to see deleted scenes for this. Right. And which then we may very well see in, you know, just a handful of months. And then I don't want to be like, I don't want to be dismissive of the novelization or anything, but, at the end of the day, too, and obviously a novelization of a movie like a Star Wars movie is going to be more carefully vetted than any other, but at the end of the day, you have to ask yourself, like, how much does J.J. Abrams or Lawrence Kasdan or whoever really care about the novelization? Like, I doubt they read it. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm sure they have some kind of, like, say over what goes in there and what doesn't, but, you know, to them, it's like somebody else's cover of their song. It's not, it's not, I don't think they view that in any way. So I just, I guess I'm just saying, like, for me... Even if I read something in a canon novelization, I'm not sure that that really works for me as gospel. This is you know? a new era, though, because it's not just J.J. and Lawrence's film. Like, it's the story group. The story group. Well, we're going to have to have a whole separate <laughs> conversation about that, too, because, you know, it is the story group. But I have a feeling that if, uh, you know, somebody is hired to write and or direct a Star Wars movie, that... Uh, if you know i don't know i feel like that's the ultimate authority i I, I mean i but i'm not disagreeing with you there but i'm saying Mm -hmm. that i think that jj and lawrence and everyone is they're all more connected than these what used to be like lucas's movies versus the eu um that Mm -hmm. were very separate um, I mean, at times mm-hmm. they crossed, um, but I I feel like that division is not as strong anymore. And I feel yeah. like there's so much more collaboration now. And yeah. I and I, I I agree with Kevin that I think anything extra we find in the novelization, and I mean this is all baseless speculation, but just the vibe I get right now is anything we see in the novelization is going to end up in like deleted scenes or we'll find it in like the art book or something. Like I, I feel like it's a, it's a cohesive thing now. Yeah. Well, let me, okay. We, we got to move on, but let me, let me just say like from, from a less, I guess, cynical or critical perspective, you know, if the screenwriter and the director of a film are artists and they are expressing a creative vision, uh, the same is true for an author of a novelization, right? And I think that they're they're given a certain amount of freedom to, you know, put their own spin on things. And I, I guess I'm just saying I don't think anybody necessarily worries about that too much because it's, it is viewed as 
a separate thing and an, an interpretation of a movie. And, you know, like, for instance, uh, Dan was describing earlier the inner monologue of a soldier in that room with Kylo Ren. I find it very hard to believe that there were ever any discussions with the author of the novelization about what that soldier would have been thinking. I think that was left open to that author's interpretation. And unless he writes something that's like, you know, blatantly contradictory to the intention of the movie, it's going to, it's going to be fine. But you know, I don't, to me as a, as a reader, I don't, I'm not going to read that scene and think like, well, this guy has the ultimate, like now, you know, I, I, I guess I'm just going to interpret it as another version of something rather than the version, you know? And so I, I feel like JJ and Lawrence Kasdan and the actor in that scene in the movie could have had a different idea for how it is. And then the author of the book could have a different idea and that's fine. They can coexist, but they can also be different. And I guess I'm just not going to let a novelization too closely control how I view a movie because I just don't think it works that way. Well, Alan Dean Foster was there first. (laughs) It's true. (laughs) But I I, I have a feeling he might agree with what I just said, too. And I think authors, you know, a lot of novelization authors would probably agree with that. Um, We, we, I think we should probably wrap this up and we're going to talk a lot more about The Force Awakens, but obviously we can't, we can't do that without discussing the final scenes of the film. Luke Skywalker, where is he? In the last 10 seconds of the movie. <laughs> Someplace we've never been before. Yeah. Um, I wasn't surprised we didn't see him a lot. I was surprised he did not utter even a single word. Um, yeah, I, I, I just kept thinking they probably flew Mark Hamill over there for so much unnecessary time just so the media didn't know that he was only in it for... I feel like they didn't want... It would have felt really weird if we would have known two years ago that Mark Hamill was only going to be he was on set for a 30 day. seconds of the movie. Yeah. Well, and I'm guessing a lot of it, I'm guessing a lot of it is going to be used in episode eight. That could be too. They filmed a lot of scenes that are going to be there. Episode eight is maybe going to start right where it leaves off and not like the typical I don't know. Star Wars. Like I don't think so. After. I don't think so. I mean, well, yes, I agree with that. But like Dan, like the idea that a lot of what he was doing two years ago or a year and a half ago or whatever is going to be used in episode eight. I don't think so. I don't think episode eight was written. I don't think you can go and film scenes with Mark Hamill that, you know, where dialogue hasn't been written and a script hasn't been written. Um, so, so I don't know. I know. I think they went back to Skellig Michael three or four months ago to do stuff like that or two months ago, whatever. Yeah, but, they did. Yeah. But I, 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 it's tough for me to think that they were simultaneously shooting episode seven and eight scenes because I just don't think that, I mean, it, 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 you know, you read about the movie, it sounds like they barely got the episode seven script finished in time to shoot that movie, let alone start filming scenes for episode eight, you know, so. Well, if they already had the ideas that this stuff needs to happen and we're not going to have it in episode seven just because it doesn't fit for whatever reason, you know, they could they could start filming. That yeah, it is possible. Especially like the only thing that really makes me think that is it's apparently a big pain for them to get the permitting and time to film at that location because mm-hmm. it's a UNESCO world heritage site or mm-hmm. whatever it is. And, you know, so it seems like they probably have to make the best use of their time for the location. That That's they true. Have. That's true. Um, what was your, what were guys' reactions to seeing Luke Skywalker again? Um, I thought he looked really cool. Yeah. I, I kept thinking, Oh my gosh, we're never going to get the Han luke reunion that i wanted yeah 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 that i thought for sure we would get 
Mm. I got to say, I was, uh, I didn't really think about it until I saw him there, but I was like, man, I'm really disappointed. I saw that picture of him dressed up like that about eight months ago. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. And I'm, I'm, I have felt guilty about that for months now because I, I remember like I, it showed up in like my Twitter feed and I immediately texted it to you, John. Yeah. And then I thought it was just going to be like, oh, well, you know, this is what Luke's going to look like in this movie. <laughs> like, cause he's going to be in it a ton and <coughs> it's going to be cool and stuff. And here's our first look at it. Awesome. Right. And then, well, then we just time passed and we didn't see him. And I was like, oh God, this is like something so much bigger. Like if you're, and I mean, I don't know if you would have come across it on your own. I don't even remember how I found it, but I'm sure I would have. Yeah. Like, was that something? Because I didn't really. No, see you it ruined it for me. Thanks, Ryan. First time that I saw it, like, because I generally stayed away from the spoilers. But this is one of those moments there. when I. This is one of. The, sorry, Kevin. This is one of those moments when I wish I had your like flip phone with the physical keyboard on it because you probably didn't get that picture because i don't even know if your photo your phone can display photos it does occasionally accept photos for some reason i don't know why um i did get that one i did get and i think i i think ryan you asked me if i wanted it if i wanted to see it and i said yes and i saw it and i i feel a little disappointed because i feel like i wouldn't i feel like it cut down on this the the, the surprise, suspense yeah. and the surprise that i i know like, I, I i feel like i ruined it for myself you yeah. know what too and not just because I, we I saw i sent it to you guys too and not just because we saw what he looked like but that we saw he was he, i mean i probably would have just assumed he wasn't going to be in it or he was not even alive anymore or i don't know mm-hmm. but but we did but we did know that he was in the movie yeah right well, like because of like interviews, right? Yeah, Mark Hamill had said he, you know, he, he definitely is in the movie. But but Ryan, in terms of the guilt thing, like I, I have to say, I am really glad I saw that photo when I did, because I started to hear the whispers and the rumors and the theories that Luke was evil in this movie, and that Luke was would be the villain, and that you know. There was Luke that. Was Kylo Ren. Well, not that Luke was Kylo Ren, but there was that whole. There was that interview or whatever that TV show with JJ and Mark Hamill going around from a couple like 10, 15 years ago, where Mark was like, "Oh yeah, oh, yeah you should they be were a bad that, guy." And they were at that dinner together, and and yeah. and then I and yeah, and I read stuff too about like that's what that's how Lawrence Kasdan wanted to end Return of the Jedi. He wanted Luke to pick up Darth Vader's helmet after killing him and say, "Now I'm Darth Vader." Like there are people who were involved in the production of the original trilogy that are involved in this movie that wanted Luke to turn evil. So I was really scared about that. And there were a lot of talk. There was a lot of talk. There was a lot of whispers. And there were, there were people saying like, you know, there's a lot of evidence to support this idea that Luke's really going to be this, this dark character. And I hate that idea. I feel like it sucks all the power out of return of the Jedi in the ending. Luke's character is all about the fact that he did what his father could not do, which was resist the temptation to turn to the dark side. So then if you start the next movie, episode seven with, well, guess what? That's meaningless. He's evil now. Um, I would have been horrified. And so that photo was my little, you know, piece of evidence that, that provided me hope um, that they weren't going to destroy who I have, you know, believed Luke Skywalker to be. Um, so as much as it took some of the winds out of, out of the sails of that surprise, 
I'm glad I saw it just because it, it gave me a little bit of peace of mind when I needed it for months and months. And that, that, that reveal is ultimately a moment that lasts, you know, a few seconds. And, uh, it would have been months of torture for me to not have that, that, uh, reassurance. I feel like I should say though, that I, I think that I, I don't think that Luke is going to be evil in this movies, but we don't really know what Luke's place in these movies is going to be. I think we I can know. assume pretty safely, but we don't know 100%. He was barely in this and he, he Yeah, but we have we have characters who said Luke feels so guilty about what happened when he tried to restart the Jedi order that he separated himself from society. That's not a guy who's like twisted by the dark side. Sure, sure. And That's I, and Luke I Skywalker we know. I know. I don't I don't think that he is going to be on the dark side. I'm just saying we don't know for sure. Well, what's going to happen? With I him. would say this: he he may not be the hero right. that he was in the original trilogy. It, they could even if he's not dark side, they could, he could still you know be disappointing. They could go in different directions with him, but it even if they do, and I hope they don't, it would be from a place where over those thirty years, Luke Skywalker was the character you thought he was, and now if he goes in a different direction, you will see how and why that happens, rather than just like whoops never mind look at this total like scary bad guy luke skywalker like he's wearing all black now like he has a red cybernetic eyeball he's so cool like that was what i was afraid of like garbage like that exactly you know and it's not going to go that way and i i honestly don't think i think they understand the power of the myth of luke skywalker which and that's addressed even in the script but i don't think they're going to play with that and, and turn him you know but even if they did it would not be the sort of cheap gimmick that it would have been if they'd done it in this movie. It's That's inter- what I'm excited about. It's interesting to me that there's been so much made of the line that Kathleen Kennedy lured JJ to the film with, like, who is Luke Skywalker? And I, I guess his answer was, I don't know, this guy that I'm going to put in my movie for 30 seconds. <laughs> um, I will tell you, what. next time you guys go and see it, he has he expresses so much in his facial expressions just in that like 30 seconds it's kind of crazy to me like mm-hmm. and and i'm sure part of it's me projecting too because like my personal theory is that she that ray is his daughter whether or not he knows it or anything like that but i, I don't know it seems like there's so much going through his head at that point and really there's got to be you know he's intentionally isolated himself this chick shows up with his father's lightsaber and i assume that he is expecting her regardless of who she is i don't i think that i think that a lot of people interpret the, the look on his face to be shock that his daughter has returned i don't think it is his daughter but i think that look on his face says uh wow um I guess like this self-imposed exile I've put myself into has to end now because if they've tracked me down and this person has brought me this lightsaber and I, I think he probably knows who she is because he's that strong in the force and they're connected in some way, no doubt. But I think the look on his face says, okay, this is a significant moment. This is not just a visitor. This has importance and impact. And she is here because I'm needed or she's here because of something extremely significant. It's not just like, Oh, I know you. Crazy. I think it's He's gotta pull his head things out of are the going to change. Yes. This is a moment of this is a moment of importance and action and things are going to be different now. And I'm scared of it. That's why I'm here. I'm scared of it. I don't wanna be involved. I want to remove myself from the possibility of doing more harm than good. But you know what? It's like wake up. 
you know, there's another awakening in this movie, and that's Luke Skywalker coming to terms with the fact that I can't just hide here on this island anymore. Um, so that that's what it is to me. It's not about like, oh my God, my daughter, we're back together. I don't think so. I think mm-hmm. it's things have to change. Well, we have two opposing forces now. We can we can assume we have Snoke, as he says, finishing the training of of uh, Kylo Ren, and we have Luke Skywalker. Uh, who we can likely assume is going to be in some way training Ray. Mm-hmm. Sure. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's again, like so many parallels here, but like it's the parallel of like Obi-Wan finally reaching out to Luke in a new hope or, you know, Yoda on Dagobah when Luke shows up, like, you know, they were just kind of doing their own thing and they were kind of avoiding this thing or they were like watching from a distance or whatever. But then, you know, they both Obi-Wan and Yoda were kind of pulled back into this conflict. And I think this is the point where Luke is kind of pulled back in. And that location um, is more Dagobah than it is, you know, uh, a new hope in terms of like the training and that kind of stuff. And so part of me thinks like, is, is it, is this a thing where Luke is Yoda in the sense that Ray will go to him to receive the training she needs rather than him leaving where he is. But I, I don't think so. I think that it's going to be, I, I think they'll use Luke in, in more ways than that because I think he is important. I think that they need him not just to train Ray. I think they need him to be, the powerful, important figure that he is. I think he needs to be involved in what happens. So Yeah, I think Luke is going to leave. I think that's the end of his isolation. I think we're going to get a yeah. Luke and Leia reunion. I think we're going to get, you know, I think we're going to get all that, which is which is really exciting to think about. And they very briefly mentioned, and I haven't really speculated on it that much because I honestly have no idea, but they say he went looking for the first Jedi Temple. Mm. You know? Yes, and and this is some real, like, you know, deep in the woods type stuff, and it's not really supported in any way in the movie, except for this line that says that they're on, I believe the name of the planet is Ilium, or the system is Ilium. I think it's the planet is Ilium. And there is some significance to that planet um, in the canon in being, I, I want to say it's where uh, the Jedi go to get their crystals, their kyber crystals. Um, it's, it's, it, I'm forgetting some of the details now, but I know that uh, it is a significant... Uh, place and it's it's a thing that existed before the Force Awakens. Arrow, and, could and it potentially canon. be in that Clone Wars episode where they go and do that? Yes, stuff? I think that it comes from the Clone Wars. Yes. Um, right, when I hear you say Ilium, I just kept thinking of Liam the Shades. <laughs> <laughs> Another thing I hadn't given much thought to until we started talking about the uh, bringing up the first Jedi Temple here. The very first thing in the novelization is like a an excerpt from the journal of the wills, which I know we've talked about before, probably not in this podcast, but like how much weight do you give this whole journal of the wills thing? It's never really brought up in the movies, but we know it's been in the scripts previously and things like that. Was it in the original or one of the original titles of the, the that was like the, yeah, exactly. An idea for, for the actual name of the movie. And I, like I said, I don't remember what the content is because honestly, I wasn't paying that much attention because it was. It's literally the very first thing they even say. They they give you this thing and then they say blah 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 from the Journal of the Wills. You know, like it's a piece of scripture almost. Mm. So I I, I want to go back and listen to that now. Well, I don't know. All these topics we've discussed, I feel like I could have done an hour podcast, or we could have done an hour podcast on any one of them. You know, so. 
um, even though we've talked for a long time about a lot of different things, this movie, and this is something I should have stated earlier too, but one of my initial impressions, this movie is packed with ideas and characters and information. There's a lot going on. And uh, I think that's great, you know, and there's there's going to be a lot to talk about and continue to to consider. And uh, I've just started watching this movie. You know, I've seen it twice and I want to see it many more times in the theater. And obviously I'm going to see it many more times after that, too. So um, I feel like there's a lot, a lot to discuss. Um, How about final impressions? Um, You know, we talked about what we were thinking as we watched it. Where are you guys at with your your reactions, your reception of the movie? Is it what you wanted to be? Is it better than what you wanted to be? Are you disappointed? Where are we at? I don't think any of us are disappointed, but <laughs> where are we? I I'm I'm more than satisfied with with the amount of mythology and loose ends and things that we you know just tonight or been debating on just a few, but it, there, there's so much to establish a a greater a greater world that can be analyzed and debated and and discussed and talked about for the next year and a half or however long until episode eight comes out. So I, I'm more than satisfied with, with that side of it. Uh, I've only seen it once, but, uh, I, I honestly can't imagine it being much better than it was that it, it was amazing. Yeah. I agree with you completely. I, uh, in the, in the weeks leading up to it, I got, somewhat pessimistic to myself about it just because I was seeing so much about it and not just about the movie, but star Wars in general. But once we got in there and got to it, it was everything I could have wanted and more. I mean, I was not disappointed by anything in the movie. I think that's almost a natural reaction too. It's because like, I feel like I put my faith into this movie in a big way. Like I, I'm to a certain extent, it's a gamble. Because when you fixate, I don't know if it's healthy or unhealthy, but the way I fixated on this movie, what we do is not the way healthy I fixated at all. <laughs> for the, record. the way I fixated, the way I fixated on this movie for years, and the way I put so much hope into it, and I my I allowed my expectations to rise to such a high level. I think it's natural, Dan, in the in the few weeks leading up to it, to be like, uh, maybe I need to distance myself from this a little bit. Maybe I need to prepare myself for the possibility that it's not incredible. And then people started to talk about like, oh yeah, I remember when everybody was this hyped for the Phantom Menace, which by the way was justified that hype. But I'm just saying. But uh, <laughs> I remember people started to talk about that stuff, and it's and it was like, oh man, maybe I should be a little more careful. Maybe I should protect myself mm-hmm. in case it's not that good, you know. Um, I didn't really feel that way leading up to it. I probably should have, but I, I think it's like, I almost feel like it's a psychological thing that you like probably unconsciously did just in case yeah, yeah. to protect That's a very yourself. Good point. Um, I kept thinking about, you know, what, since I liked the prequels and, uh, you know, so many other people hated them, like what, what happens? I had this thing in the back of my head that told me there's a good chance that everyone's going to love this movie and you're not going to like it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow, yeah. That would have been so strange. I, I really, I had that in the back of my head for a long time. Uh, that That is definitely not the case. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. Because I had, um, I, I don't know, what was it? Like maybe Monday or Tuesday this week, John, I sent you a text and I was like, I just came to like the horrible realization. Like, what if this movie is, just okay like it's Mm -hmm. not it's not like hilariously bad it's not amazing it's just okay 
and you see it once and you're like, ah, I think I kind of got it all. <laughs> like, what do we yeah. do then? Like, that is the worst case scenario. Um, which thankfully is not the case. But, you know, I mean, to me, what that situation is, is part of the fun and the joy of Star Wars and what really, you know, has kind of reignited my fandom again and again is not necessarily just the movies or collecting the toys or any of that stuff. It's the experience you have with your friends and your loved ones, like Mm -hmm. leading up to these things and discussing them and all the hype that surrounds them and, you know, waiting in lines, getting advanced tickets, like all of this stuff like it is like this this very like personal human experience and really that's what matters in the end Mm -hmm. and we had an amazing experience leading up to this like we started this podcast like john you took the initiative because you were so into this that we Mm -hmm. we started this thing and it's so fun and um yeah. and i think that's what makes it all worthwhile in the end so like really it didn't it didn't matter like how the movie came out i mean thankfully it's a super awesome movie that i want to watch 5000 times in my lifetime but um you know like it's just a been a wonderful experience leading up to it and it's so exciting that we're going to keep getting this experience for at least the next um decade or so well and with episode seven being so so good it's going to make it you know much more likely and i think easier to execute a really really great episode eight and episode nine if episode seven had not been as strong then i think it makes it exponentially more difficult for episode eight and episode nine to be um satisfying and so that's a place where i'm really excited right now too it's just like i love this movie so much and it's hard for me to to see a a film starring ray and finn uh and kylo ren and bb8 not being amazing you know so i feel like episode eight and episode nine are going to be really strong and obviously there's a lot of different factors that that go into making a movie great but uh you know god look at what they've look at the foundation that's been that's been you know planted with this film it's it's really exciting to think about, you know, getting two more films starring these incredible new characters. And and to know that the back end is so cohesive, too. It's, yeah, they're going to, the characters are obviously going to live through the actors and that's going to continue on. But they've got the same team working on it. Well, you know, whether or not it's J.J. at the helm as the director, mm-hmm. they've still got this cohesive story team now. And we know that J.J. is involved with, you know, as an executive producer. So, yeah. Yeah, it's, a, it's just, it's an awesome achievement, like, you know, just blood, sweat, and tears from the people involved, and it's it's great to know that so many of them, like, care about this stuff as much, or actually more, than we do. Mm-hmm. I mean, Star Wars is a lot of the reasons why it's a lot of those people are doing what they do, yeah. and... Um, you know, it's just, it's, it's in really good hands right now. And I think we can be 
excited without reservation from this point on, which is great. But even if even if episode seven wasn't I mean it's not perfect, but even if it was less perfect than it is, like we would we would all still be fine and this would still be a blast and it's just it's so good just to know that there's so much more Star Wars coming in the future and it's just it's a what a time to be alive. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh it's it's so cool that, you know, we all loved episode eight and you know, I've talking to I've episode talked seven. Episode seven, sorry. <laughs> It's so I, cool I, to know. I, that I already love episode eight. I don't know I've, about you guys. I've, that's true too. I've seen a lot of people like um, trying to type the Roman numerals out and putting like the wrong. <laughs> they, they have like one I too few or one I too many. Um, yeah. No, but it's really cool that we all loved episode seven as much as we did. It's really it's nice to like amongst my friends and people I you know discuss these things with uh, for there to be basically universal praise of the movie. And then it's not you know everyone. It's just everyone I talk to. People that are not huge Star Wars, you know, fans necessarily. Everyone I talk to is really, really enjoying it. So it's 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 just nice to to have such universal praise for the movie and universal excitement for Star Wars. And man, what a task that J.J. Uh, Abrams and Lawrence Kasdan and Kathleen Kennedy and Disney, you know, had in front of them to reignite Star Wars and to make a film that can stand with the best Star Wars films and. And uh, so much pressure, so much money on the table writing on this uh, film. And, uh, you know, as some of us have already expressed tonight, I don't see how they could have done it a better job. It's almost hard to fathom. So, And it, despite all of that factor, all those factors, all the money, all the marketing, all the like BB-8 oranges and Maybelline mm-hmm. and all that stuff, this movie has so much heart and mm-hmm. soul and just raw human emotion. It is just, it's incredible. Absolutely. All right. Well, we are going to be back soon with more discussion of The Force Awakens, of Star Wars, of, uh, of all these topics. I really do feel like we just kind of scratched the surface in this we did two not and a half hour conversation. We did talk about Phasma, Consuluvio. Oh, well, Zuvio. Who? Ooh. Uh, <laughs> So well, we will definitely be back soon with, uh, with new content. Um, if you are interested in hearing more from us, you can check us out online at the blockaderunnerpodcast.com. Actually, not the blockaderunnerpodcast.com. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at Blockade Run. Uh, we do post blogs fairly regularly there. Uh, we have a YouTube channel. Search for the Blockade Runner um, on YouTube or, or find it from, um, from the blog. And... Um, you guys want to share your personal Twitter handles? Sure. I am Braun Dwarf, at Braun Dwarf, uh, B-R-A-W-N-D-W-A-R-F. I am Kevin Aid, K-E-V, no wait, I think it's just my name. Yeah, you're Kevin Twitter. Kevin Twitter is just my name, K-E-V-I-N. <laughs> you were Nintendo Network, ID. I was, you can follow me on Nintendo too. Uh, no, um... Yeah, Kevin Schwitters, K-E-V-I-N-S-C-H-W-I-T-T-E-R-S, and you can be one of my 20 followers or whatever, and I never <laughs> post anything, but I do, you know, I do uh, hard, hard things <laughs> pretty often. And I am at the big sweat. Another hard sell. Uh, <laughs> and... Uh, you can definitely email us feedback, too. I uh, would love to hear what you guys think about about the show. Um, you can email us at blockaderunnerpodcast at gmail.com. 
Um, so yeah, looking forward to many more years of um, Star Wars movies, Star Wars discussions, and um, discussing the fact that Ray is in fact Han Solo and Leia's daughter and Kylo Ren's sister um, in False. the future. Like I have, I have thirty <laughs> Constable Zuvio figures here, and I'm starting to regret purchases. Hey, that could be the best purchase you ever made. <laughs> they're not going to make any more of them. Oh man! When when Kyle Newman makes Fanboys Two, it'll be somebody who gets a Constable Zuvio tattoo Ooh. instead uh. of a Jar Jar one. Uh, you know what? The thing is the. Um, the incredible Constable Zuvio. I think the problem is uh, that much hope, that much flavor, that much uh, joy. It just can't really be accurate, accurately produced on film. I think they probably <laughs> only an action figure. <laughs> Two dollar ebooks <laughs> on your Kindle. <laughs> well, and then for episode eight, they couldn't use the tagline for Constable oh, Zuvio oh, back and badder than ever. Oh, oh. <laughs> and that bar's not that high, you know. It's not that hard to be better than ever when you've Zubio never been around. Bunny trip. 